This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Itching my nose, I can talk. <laughs> Start itching right before we went on. Oh, of course, that's how it always is. Yeah, some like fuzz somewhere. So, greetings, everybody. Um, it's another live episode, episode 171. Yes. Confirmed 171. Is that confirmed? Yes, oh, it okay. is confirmed. And you just got some good news today, which is cool. We're not going to talk about it, but you got some good good news. That was fun. Yes. Congrats. Um, let's you. see here. Uh, so tonight we have a return visit from Max Hawthorne. He is an award-winning, best-selling author. Um, just uh, was fun to have a conversation with him. And he is the prince of paleo fiction. Yeah. Yeah, the prince. The prince. Yeah. Yeah, he is. 
first thing I think about when I hear his name. That's to where me, I went. To me, he's Max. Yeah. All right. But yeah, people do call him that. Um, so we had a lot of severe weather this week, a lot of tornadoes and stuff in the last. I mean, it was bad. It really was. It was very life threatening. Numbers of people lost their life, which really there should be no excuse, you know, in this day and age for people losing their lives in tornadoes. Not to those numbers. No. But did you ever notice that's something? Did you ever notice that you never hear about tornadoes from another country? Ever. That is so weird. Think about yeah. this. Okay. Try to remember one incident where a town got wiped out or people got hurt or killed in another country from a tornado. Yeah, I can't think of a single story that I've heard. I can't either. Thank you, Jennifer. And I I, I heard somebody had surgery, too, and it's kind of recovering and of course John our moderator John Ayers he said oh that's the best way to watch our show on meds <laughs> nice Anyhow, oh it's uh so it's Jennifer yeah so speedy recovery Jennifer but enjoy the show we'll try not to make you laugh too hard yeah yeah or Alex won't but anyhow so okay we're back to the tornadoes yes Name an example. Can anybody? And why just in the U.S.? Is the U.S. just that bad for tornadoes? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know because I don't get it. So I did, did, did do a little digging around and actually found a guy that had done a video about this. And he noticed it. I mean, I have noticed it actually before. I remember talking to a guy named Tom Stewart about it when we were heading down to Belize and it was really humid. I was like, this is the kind of weather you get tornadoes back in Minnesota. But yet there, it's just, it's whatever. You know, might get a shower, but you don't get the tornadoes. But Florida, you do. But yet you don't get them right out in, in Puerto Rico or, you know, somewhere like that. They get hurricanes, but never a tornado. Never. I don't know, I just find it weird. So I, I found a video. Go ahead and let's play video one. A realization the other day that was at the level of why do you never see baby pigeons or why do you never see your neighbors bring in the groceries? Why do you never hear about tornadoes outside of the United States? I have never in my life heard about a tornado happening outside of the U.S. Not in the news, not in pop culture, never. He, I've never seen a tornado joking. being depicted as happening anywhere outside of the United States in any book or movie I've ever watched or read. I've never seen any non-American ever talk about tornadoes. And I actually asked the question on Twitter, are there tornadoes in other countries? I've heard of hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes, and pretty much any other natural disaster happening in many other countries, but never tornadoes. And I kind of asked this in more of a kind of rhetorical way and wasn't expecting a real answer. But lo and behold, one of my followers actually gave me a real answer. And apparently there is a real explanation for this. This is so I looked it up and yeah, while there are some very weak examples of tornadoes in I don't some buy other countries, uh, a majority of the tornadoes that happen in the world happen in the United States. 
because it happens to be the perfect storm of good conditions for tornadoes to happen. <laughs> tornadoes like to develop whenever cold air masses and warm air masses collide over flat land. And no. the United States just so happens to be one of the only places in the entire world that happens to have those exact conditions. Uh, the extremely cold air from Canada meets with the warm air from the Gulf of Mexico over but what the about Russia? flat the land in the middle of the U.S. and do. leads to all of these tornadoes. Whereas yeah, there's basically know. nowhere Not else in the it. entire world that that happens. It's also incidentally why a quarter of the world's food supply comes from the U.S. because it's basically right, one of that. the only. Oh, by the way, God, you went nuts on 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 Hangar One, and uh, probably the untold. I didn't even check the untold radio site, but you actually have a whole bunch of T-shirts called that's enough of that crap oh yeah with untold radio that's so cool. why did you do so many versions i oh mean my. there's I, a lot of versions of that i know but it's so cool i mean oh okay you better you better hope they sell look at this there's like six types of go ahead and can you zoom in on i, I like like this one the one up at the top you can't blow it up. Well, whatever. That's enough of that crap on told radio AM. There you go. I love that one. It's anybody wants anybody want? look. <laughs> throw a, throw another one up. Throw another one. Yeah. I like one with orange in it. There's even yeah. a Bigfoot one. This orange Bigfoot one? Yeah. Look at that one. That is sharp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's enough. That's enough of that crap. <laughs> Find one right now. Yeah, buy them. They're on sale. <laughs> oh my God! I guess on Hanger One there is a there is a ten percent coupon though, isn't there? Yeah, I thought. Or does that only apply to books? Uh, I think it's just books right now. But I can get you guys. It doesn't say books. It says on your first purchase. Mm, then yeah, they should be good. Okay. All right. Um, the next thing, did you see this dolphin that was apparently born with thumbs? It was born with thumbs. They're they're evolving. That is so At least weird. that's what the headline said. It's kind of clickbait. So go ahead, go ahead and throw up photo one. Okay. Kind of clickbait, I think. I mean, yeah, it could be interpreted as that that they're evolving. Or they're going back to human. So, yeah. But, yeah, thumb is something you can move. Yeah, I don't know. It, it looks weird. I just... Do you think it's Photoshop? Or do you think it's real? Oh, no, it's real. No, it's no, real. No, I found other examples. So, do you, do you think it's... Uh, just like if, a they were, if I was going to Photoshop it, I'd put human hands on it. I'd <laughs> yeah, really yeah. freak people out. Oh, my God. But, uh, no, it's, so do you think it's just like a random mutation? Do you think there's more of them? Uh, yeah, of course there's got to be more. Some kind of mutation. Maybe that's what all dolphins will look like soon. All right. So it says here, um, uh, it says the thumbs are kind of carved out of the flippers. As the photographs show, researchers with the Pelagos uh, uh, Research Institute spotted a dolphin on two occasions this summer on a boat survey. 
So apparently it's off the coast of Greece. So if you want to go to Greece, see a dolphin with thumbs, there you go. Mm. But it's apparently it acts normal. You know, it leaps and plays and does that. So that's clickbait. You know that. Yeah. I mean, you'd be disappointed if he clicked on that. <laughs> so I, I did a lot of, and so there was another clickbait one that I ran into this week. It says uncommon creature, right? Creature with enormous genitalia. Enormous. Well, that'll get your attention. So right away, you're like, what creature with an, you know, you're expecting to see some kind of big furry creature walking around with his junk hanging down. No, 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 no. So this is also, it's a new species. So I didn't know what to expect. So I click on it, throw up photo one. Or photo two, excuse me. It's a damn dung beetle. <laughs> and and they're pointing to his, this, this, uh, or dung beetle, dung fly. They're pointing to his anal area. Now, how mm. is that genitalia? Whatever. It's just the whole thing was complete clickbait. And there's probably a hundred different types of dung flies. And so what's going on right now, there's a lot of scientists, they're doing a lot of DNA, right? They're collecting samples and DNA testing everything. And then there'll be a little bit different DNA in one of these. You know, they'll test five different dung flies and one will have a little different DNA, maybe a slightly different look and they get all excited. It's a new species. No, it's a new subspecies. It's not, it's not a new species. But, you know, they get all this academic credit and, you know, you know, big grant to find the dung fly with the big junk. With oh, no junk, as far as I'm concerned. It's all perspective. It is all perspective. Right? So that's clickbait. It says here this thing, uh, scientists were searching for a relatively uncommon genus of flies in Queensland, Australia, apparently. Um, according to a study published December 7th, brand new big study. Got to have a study too. Yes. In the European Journal of a Taxonomy. They're getting a little desperate, I think. Between uh, blah, 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 blah. Apparently between 98 and now, they collected 100 different specimens of dung flies. Wow. And apparently um, uh, these things have uh, pleurocetas, seta in, ingens. That's the name after the Latin word ingen means huge or enormous. Oh, yeah. So remember that about your engine. <laughs> okay. Um, apparently, this thing, it just says this, this name refers to the greatly enlarged male genitalia, the very large cup shaped um, female uh, epipropa proct, an ectoskeleton plate shielding the fly's anus. All right, it's enough of that crap. It's just la la la. It goes on forever. It's clickbait. That's the bottom line. Yeah, that's so clickbait. If you're interested in that, you're like Sheldon, right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, here's another one. Another clickbait. Scientists are working to save a water monster. Right? Really? 
So you're like, oh my God, I gotta click on that. Of course I'm gonna click on that. Yeah, it's a monster. So I click on it and it and throw photo three. Oh my gosh, it's terrifying. This is what they're referring to, this cute little salamander mm-hmm. with the little goth fingernails. You see the goth fingernails? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's cute. Nice. The whole thing's cute. But apparently, um, they did discover this thing is a thousand times more resistant to cancer than mammals. Well, I would imagine every salamander, every snake, every reptile is more resistant to cancer. Yeah. By far. And, you know, whatever. What did they feed them? Bacon? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They fed them bacon. I'm, I'm cynical about this stuff. But this is an axolotl salamander. You know, and we've, we've featured these on our show before. But never was I clickbaited in. So they're trying to raise tons of money to save the axolotl. Noble cause. I think it's great. So it says ecologists in Mexico are fighting to save the critically endangered species, right? That they believe could hold the secret of uh, medical miracles like tissue repair, um, possibly even cancer recovery, you know? And so they're trying to save the axolotl. Why don't you just go catch a bunch and raise them in a pond if you're worried about it? But they're apparently they've raised, um, uh, Apparently, 600 people have donated about 35 bucks in pesos. 35 bucks. Yeah, that's 450 pesos. Or no, 400. Sorry, I'm all screwed up here. 600 pesos is about. So you can donate 600 <laughs> pesos to save the axolotl. But, they're, but, you know, but how are they going to save it? I mean, you know what I mean? That's the other thing that kills me. You can save them by capturing them probably and transporting them to more streams. I mean, that's, but they just want to use the money to do a survey in one stream in Mexico. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but so apparently scientists say they still need a lot more money to combat the crisis. This is not a crisis. It's a crisis. This is not we we need these cancer-fighting yeah, axolotl. Yeah, people having food to eat, and, you know. Well, the problem is we're just going to get out now, and people are going to start eating them because they're going to think it's going to cure their cancer. Yeah, that could be too. <laughs> Anyhow, okay, uh, another clickbait, right? This All is right. more clickbait stuff on animals. Yeah, this one was really clickbait. And there was a headline for the new discovered chocolate brown creature with a big nose. That's the headline. Ooh, chocolate brown creature be? with a big nose. What were you thinking but, when you clicked it? So I click that? it. It's a freaking shrew. <laughs> it's just a common shrew. Once again, got little DNA differences. It's a subspecies. And yeah, I don't want shrews to go extinct. <laughs> we need shrews. You need them in your yard, Alex. We all need the shrews. What would life be without shrews? You know, they eat grubs. They keep grubs under control. They're important to the environment. But it's just funny. Here's here's what's funny. They're claiming this is a new species, but then they went and set traps and and killed six of them. What? What if those are the only six left? Oh, no. There they are, the poor things. They use the bucket, you know, the ramp in the bucket with the spinner. You ever seen that? Yeah. That's where you catch mice. 
put a little peanut butter or something up on the on the ramp or on the spinner and they get on it and they spin off because it's ball bearings into the bucket (laughs) that's a great it is a great way to catch mice alive as they just drop into the bucket but they killed them (laughs) anyhow so uh, they were euthanized and they were given dna analysis and all this stuff and yeah they're probably one genome away from a common shrew that was clickbait. Would you rather have them spend money on go rediscover the thylacine or Bigfoot or you know something? Yeah, something. Or useful. Meg, you know, go out and do something like that. Yeah, find the Meg. Yeah, the Meg. Okay. We're gonna have to ask Max if he liked Meg too. Uh, I saw Meg one finally. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I kind of ran. Up, yeah, kind of like yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to make any comments. Said <laughs> that much. Okay, then speaking of um, Meg, uh, a lot of Max's books are based on this um, uh, pliosaur, right? Mm-hmm. And he just discovered a huge skull in England up mm-hmm. on a cliff. You know, back when the oceans were really, really high, yeah. like 200 feet above where they are now. Back from all the people causing climate change, yeah, you know, they, back then. Yeah, yeah, those people back then. Yeah, those damn <laughs> cavemen that caused that climate change. Burning. And the oceans needles. rose hundreds of feet. Well, anyhow, there's this uh, pleosaur, right? Yeah. And it was the ultimate killing machine. And I think this is that Kronos Rising is based on these, these creatures. I can see that. Huh? What? What? I can see that. Yeah, that all that is. That is what he based it on. We'll yeah, ask. of course. He'll, he'll know. He'll know. He's the. It's author. based on the. It's on the extinct, long extinct. You know, millions of years ago, the pleosaur. Okay, it was the ultimate killing machine. It was uh, ten to twelve meters long. It's like sixty feet. And a powerful flipper, so it could go really quick, high speed. It was the apex predator in the ocean. It was like a T-Rex underwater. Yeah, but maybe even bigger. Yeah, so go ahead and, and, and look at this photo, photo 3A. Look at the teeth hanging out of that thing. That looks wicked. You would not want to get bit by a, a pleosaur. No, you do not. Oh, my God, Charlotte Jago's the Bigfoot. Enough of that crap shirt is ordered. Yeah. Congratulations, you're the first person. We you want pictures. We want to share it on our social media. She owns number one. Yep. Okay, so anyhow, throw um, photo 3B. This is what they look like. And then we got to throw up Max's cover. 3B. 3B. This is what they look like. And don't, of course, this is what he based Kronos rising on. Cool creature. Very cool. Unless you're uh, being eaten. Yeah, unless you're being eaten. (laughs) God, that'd be the way. That would not be the way to go. All right, that's enough. But Joe, throw Max's book up. Just quick. But we're obviously okay. throwing I'll up. Throw, I'll throw up one of them. There's so many. This well, Chronos, right? The one I. Oh, I threw well, one. I, in the, oh, I got this one. That's not it. 
Okay, so you you, you throw that's in fine. That. We'll, we'll 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 throw the right one up. He'll tell you which one. I think it's like volume one, for mm-hmm. sure. That's the creature on the yeah, cover. Yeah, yeah. All right, it's trivia time, and I thought, well, we're approaching Christmas, right? Yes. And I thought I'd do it on something dumb, of course. Food. I you know I like food items. I did it I, on candy canes. Oh yes. Do you ever eat a candy cane? Uh Every, it's been a while. Everybody eats one a year. Come on. Nobody one admits it. I, I I nod through a Twinkie candy cane the other weekend. A Twinkie flavored candy cane. Yeah. 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 See, in my day, there were one flavor. Peppermint, <laughs> that was it. Now you get them in grape and this and vanilla Twinkie. And strawberry. All right. I just think most people kind of love them or hate them, you know. Are you a love them or a hate them? It's like the it's like the Easter egg of Christmas, the candy mm. cane, right? Yeah. All right. How long has the candy cane been around? No cheating. One hundred twenty years. Six hundred years. Really? Oh, no. no, no. Sorry. Once again, I'm ju- I'm jumping the gun. My memory's not that good. The peppermint flavor used in candy canes has been around 600 years. Okay. So the whole question's null and void. Your answer's null and void. Based on Does that mean I get it right? Based on your... Yeah, we just have to give it to you. I get a technicality? Yeah. Yeah, you get a technicality. (laughs) So when was the actual candy cane invented? 120 years? Uh, In 16... In 1640, oh, by a German choir master who wanted basically to keep his choir quiet, you know, when they weren't singing. So he invented this candy, hard candy that would last so they could just lick it and we'd strictly tell them you can't bite it. <laughs> just Serious. so they could shut up. The choir master, <laughs> a German, inventive German choir master. So shut up it. and suck this. Um, Shut up and suck this candy. And he's also he put the uh, the shepherd's staff on it. Oh uh, yeah. It's so apparently iconic. he said he used it to shut fidgety kids up during midnight mass, and they were asked not to bite the candy. See, hmm. everything's invented out of need, Alex. Yeah, gotta be even the candy cane at one point was needed. It was an incredible invention. So if you ever see a screaming kid at Walmart, hand him a candy cane. Just shove it in his mouth. No, don't do that. No, don't do, don't. <laughs> You're getting in trouble. <laughs> okay. Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, oh, when was the machine invented to make the, candy canes automatically? Uh, 1926. 1950s. It was also invented Sorry. by a priest named Gregory Keller. Invented the machine that could make candy canes with the curve automatically. Because mm. when he first made them, they, they were straight, like a cane. Oh, yeah. A you real get, cane. You get stabbed in the eye with it. Man, you're just going to get us banned <laughs> with these, <laughs> these Alexander comments. Um... Oh, candy canes are red and white, right? And they used to only be yeah. white. It wasn't until when did they get their red stripe? Mm, 
1900. They got the red stripe. They, they got the stripe like, before they got the curve. I don't know the order. I'm all first, confused. So first could, they they striped them and then they curved them. Yeah, something like that. So it says no one's quite sure why the red stripe was initially added. Some say it was candy maker Bob McCormick in 1920 mm. that put the uh, stripe in. Okay. So candy canes have how that candy cane has how many calories, Alex? It's forty-two. Forty-two. They have fifty-five. Mm. Is that what you tell yourself when you eat a donut? Oh no, I know there's more than a donut. Something got forty-two <laughs> calories. Yeah, this um, bite is forty-two calories. And candy canes were first introduced into America when. Into America, 1980. 1847. Wait, why did I say? 1847. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I meant that day. That was an interesting laugh. <laughs> um, <laughs> when is National Candy Cane Day? Uh, December 7th. December 7th. It's December 26th. Oh, The day after Christmas, which makes no sense. should be December 7th. So you have to save them till after Christmas. All right. Um, How many candy canes are made every year? This is a shocking number. One billion. It's 1.76 billion. And 90% of them are sold between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the biggest candy cane is how big? How would you like to be the guy known to be? Like just in the world. In the world, yeah. And I found conflicting information on this. 47 I feet. I don't take this stuff lightly. I don't want to give out any fake news. One says in 2012 it was 51 feet. Another one says in 2011 it was 63 feet. Oh, I'm on Somewhere the in there is some fake news. I said 47. Fake candy cane news. I feel like I get half a point for that. Yeah, you get something. You get you get John Ayers credit. <laughs> Charlie goes, proof is posted on Facebook that I ordered the first one. I will send pics when I get it in. All right. All right. All right, um, we're almost done with this stupid trivia. In 1921, Brasher O. Westerfield invented a machine that could automatically make candy canes. Before this, each candy cane was made by hand. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He Nobody made him, cares. He made a machine to make candy canes. I don't even care about this trivia. Yeah, you do. This but is I, had to do it. I had to do it. It's, it's still, holiday. It's theme. a little interesting. Like, it's a little interesting, right? I like it. All right. So, warning. Artificial. You know, people have all these filters and all this yeah. crap. on. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's getting out of hand. You don't know what people Now there's like. one that makes you, it ages you. Oh, An yeah. AI chat. GTP4 has got one that makes you can do a very detailed oil painting of you old. So you know exactly what you're going to look like. So I thought, well, I found some of these celebrities. I found an article and I'll give them credit at the end here, but I found an article um, and these are all notable people. So it'll keep your interest. Obviously we need to know them. So go ahead and throw photo eight photo eight of Marilyn Monroe. So there's what she would look like today if she was around. Wow, that's incredible. And I don't know if this is with plastic surgery or with the, without. I'm not sure. It looks like with plastic surgery. Yeah, this should be, you know, the button. Do I want my celeb with plastic yeah, surgery exactly. or without? Yeah. So there you go. Not quite as sexy, but, you know. So in photo <laughs> nine is somebody everybody knows well, uh, our President John F. Kennedy, photo nine. There's what he would look like today. Wow. And I'm like, what does he look like? He kind of looks like somebody. I just can't place it. <laughs> yeah, he's still got it going on. Look at that. Yeah, he'd be pretty old by now. I don't, I'm not really sure when he was born, but I think he'd be in his late 90s. Yeah. Still got a full head of hair. I know. He's AI. still rocking the hair. Apparently, AI does not take your hair off. It doesn't thin your hair down. See, AI is nice. Yeah, it know? is nice. Judy Garland on photo 10. This one I found really interesting. Poor Judy. She turned into a fish? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, a little bit. It's a little fish-like, isn't it? She <laughs> turned into Finding Dory? <laughs> God, you're mean. You're so mean. And she was from Minnesota. She was born by my mother. My mother was born. Hey, that's AI. I don't. I think she would have looked better than this. They were not kind to her. No, they were not. I like how they added the little hat to. <laughs> they gave her a hat. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, uh, Keith Ledger, photo eleven. Oh, cool. Keith was that. alive, and this is. I, th I think they advanced him into like 2030. <laughs> yeah, I'm not they, sure he'd be that weathered. Do you think he would be today? That well, after, after doing that Joker role, he'd probably look like that right after it. Oh, okay. 
Whatever. Apparently, apparently they can celebs, male celebs play a lot of golf out in the sun. Yeah. So that, yeah. that must be sun damage. I think the next one's your favorite. <laughs> a little on. You peak. Photo 12, John Lennon, if he was alive today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I like how his prescription got an X. <laughs> Jeez. Oh my God, Alex is mean tonight. Okay, next Elvis Presley. If Elvis was around, oh yeah, <laughs> he looks a little crabby. He looks like uh, he doesn't want to perform anymore. No, if you saw that guy, you know the old version of yeah. Elvis, you'd go, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, what are you so you'd say? What, what are you so grouchy about? That's it. <laughs> He looks like a hound dog. See, this feature in our show is definitely better than the Candy Cane trivia, right? <laughs> I like that was the worst trivia I've ever done. Just so You're going to have to ask Max some Candy I, Cane You don't have to tell me in the comments that was the worst trivia. I already know that. No. All right. Photo 14. Bob 14. Marley. He, looks still, he still looks happy. Yeah. He doesn't look like take, Elvis. They didn't take that away from him. No, he's still happy. So Elvis would have been miserable and Bob Marley would have been happy. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Checks out. All right, next one. Janis Joplin. We're almost done. Two more. This is one of two. Janis Joplin, photo 15. I'm like, yeah, I guess I could see that. That one might be the most accurate. What did she turn into, Elton John? (laughs) Nice. You're nice. Next one, Jimi Hendrix, the amazing guitarist. Photo 16. <laughs> He's like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I had to say it. I, <laughs> I saw it too. Like they just morphed his face. <laughs> to Morgan. Because you know AI gathers all this stuff, and there's going to yeah. be a billion pictures of Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah. Time. I think it morphed him into Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Grew his hair out. Yeah. He's got the outfit, though. Look at that rocking outfit. Yeah, amazing. Really kept with the theme. I like that. You never know. But I I do think they kind of Morgan Freemanized him. Is that a word? Freemanized? They they Freemanized him. All right. um, Clip one. Let's get into some some clips. I'll try not to let people down on the clips. All right. Let's play the bumper. All right, I like to leave you just up, so you're just up with the clips. Yeah, see, you hate that clip one. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) the sound is good, right? And sinkholes are happening all over the the Midwest. Um, They're happening in Minnesota. Um, a little smaller in Minnesota. I've got some even in my neighborhood um, that are full. Um, but it's from, you know, when limestone gets eaten away by like acid rain or pollution or whatever. And it erodes, you know, running water in the aqueduct. And all of a sudden, boudouche. Um, there's, if, if anybody has not researched sinkholes, go to YouTube and just type in sinkholes. Sometimes you will be entertained. But this is one of the first ones where a guy's flown a drone into one. So go ahead and play it. 
Okay, guys, so this sinkhole opened up above my house, just like above on the top of the hill. And the news camera guys and everywhere out there, but they couldn't get close enough. So I was like, hey, I got a cool drone. So I'm going to fly my drone over top so we can take a look at it. What I didn't tell them is I decided that I was going to fly my drone down inside of the sinkhole. So I oh, hope wow. you guys enjoy this. This is kind of a rare view of what's inside of a sinkhole. You can see all the different layers there. Where the it's just flies. dirt, Alex. Now, this is when the sinkhole Spoiler is alert. 60 feet deep. <laughs> I want to see um, the you aliens. You see the road pieces down there. There were bushes and trees and stuff that fell in there as well. But this sinkhole actually got a lot bigger uh, after I filmed this. It got a lot deeper and a lot wider. So the uh, the governor came in and decided to try to fill it in. And they dumped truckload after truckload after truckload of concrete and stone and filler and everything. And it just kept eating it up and eating it up and eating it up. And they filled this thing for probably over a week. It took them to fill this thing with nonstop truckloads. But you can see on the right there, there's some of the rock and stuff, but I get a really good view of how big this thing We're gonna, is. That's enough of that crap. We're going to match the candy cane trivia. We keep it going. Clip two. This is interesting. Do you know what a beta particle is? Um, no, I don't. Okay, that's, what give, that's what's given off in nuclear fusion. And so the sound is good. And what you're going to see is actually a nuclear nuclear blah, 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 nuclear reaction starting up. And you're going to see these beta waves coming off, and they're blue because um, I don't know why they're blue. They're just blue, but they're faster than the speed of light. Underwater, that is. Go ahead and play it. Flow that a nuclear reactor makes when it powers on. is called Cherenkov radiation and it happens because the nuclear reactor is emitting particles remember that, that word Cherenkov speed of light not faster than the speed of light in a vacuum but in water light travels at 75% the speed of light does in space so these beta particles emitted from the nuclear reactor create an effect analogous to a sonic boom except with light because as they travel through the water they ionize the water molecules and excite them and then upon returning to their ground state, those water molecules emit light. The light can't travel as fast as that beta particle is traveling through the water. And so you get this conical front of light that emerges behind it, similar to a sonic boom traveling behind a jet. The light is blue because the particles emitted from the reactor are very high energy and thus excite the water molecules to a very high energy state. And then they give off blue photons because blue is a greater energy wavelength than any other. All right, that's enough. Um, did you like that? He did was, you learn? He was saying a lot of really intelligent stuff. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, sound is good on this one. Um. A home of the view is a complete understatement with this. You got to see this. So her home is built on a rock, right? But the river kind of flows right around this rock. And could you imagine having this? Go ahead and play it. So I have to admit the eeriness of standing in my kitchen and only seeing water below my deck. Wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah. 
especially the way it's flowing away from her home. Go, just bought the place. That's incredible. And from what everybody's told us, um, the river, we're safe. We're on a big rock. But I'll tell you what, it's amazing to watch this river and all these huge trees that keep on coming down. You know what that, what does that remind you of? A building like that. You've been there. That one clubhouse we were at. We yeah, want, yeah. We want to say where, who has it. Yeah, 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 right. It flows right by it. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty incredible that clubhouse. Similar. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty incredible, actually, to, to be there. All right. Um, this is the creepiest. I had to put this in there. The creepiest toilet, right, on the like on the planet, no doubt. You can skip ahead because I don't need a tour of the whole damn house because it takes a while. He has to go down, <clears throat> down, down into the basement. Okay. So go ahead and like almost three quarters of the way through, skip ahead. You can let him talk for a minute and then skip ahead to three quarters. Okay, TikTok. Let me introduce you to the creepiest toilet I've ever seen and one that you could not pay me enough to use so it's in this house I mean, the, the upstairs part of the house looks good a little too far alex a little too far basement everything's there you go normal right basement normal basement pretty cruddy basement sure. but what is that but here's what's creepy about it It's what's behind the toilet. It's this big open thing, and it's pitch black in there. It opens up no, to no, the no. crawl space, <laughs> and literally Not anything could be coming out of there. A coyote really could get you. With my back to the crawl space of a 100-plus-year-old house. <laughs> Creepy. And why? And yeah, do you, don't you wonder why? Like this light is right here. But Man. that light switch doesn't work. All so right, that's you won't enough for that. All right, clip five. You mentioned <laughs> the reason I put this in there was because of that. Um, what the AI did to um, Dorothy. Oh boy! So put clip five on sound. It needs to be off. And I get a headache just looking at this poor fishy. But <laughs> go ahead, throw it on clip five. Sound off. This way, not not this one, but this one. <laughs> yep, that's her. That's it. What in the world? That's like breeding. They're breeding these goldfishes to extremes. Like I had that goldfish had a tail like that long. That is extreme expensive. breeding. Super long. All right, clip six. Sound is good. This is called a hexa. Do you know what a hexa is? Hexa. Yeah. Yeah. You do not. Yeah, it's I I see him all the time. Yeah, you do flying over. The I've, hexa, take I've, the seen, hexa I've seen clips of them. Well, I'll tell you though, this is getting exciting because this thing it looks is. pretty damn practical. It is. I haven't seen them before. Go this to go to clip unique. six. Sound is good. This is a hexa. So this is like a and helicopter made of drones. And you can land in water. That's where I think it's so cool. Go ahead and play it. What I don't like, the guy goes, it's controlled this by an iPad. And I'm, like, and I'm about to fly it. No. It's called the Hexa, and it's a one-seater drone. Look at this. This is your pilot helmet. 
your comms in the middle. You got an iPad Pro with augmented reality to show you where the digital fences are. I would, this is your joystick. If you want to climb, I would not like this. want an iPad you want Power. To slide right like that. The thing crashes. Go forward, backwards. I mean, you don't touch the iPad, sorry. Just yeah. bump them the These are fully buoyant. How would oh, oh, they do an automatic Apple update <laughs> while you're in the I mean, it looks really stable and really easy to fly. Just a simple joystick. I literally think anybody can fly that in 10 minutes of training. Wow. This is coming. This is coming. You know, we won't be buying the Ford Ranger anymore. We'll be going to get that. Got to get me a new Hexa. The new 2029 hexes are out, right? Oh, oh yeah. I think it'll be cool. Be like the Jetsons. <laughs> Clip seven. The sound is good. And can you identify this, the type of deer, Alex, after this place? Because I have talked about them before. Go ahead and play it. She spots a new type of deer. All right, wildlife TikTok. I just pulled over on the side of the road, dead stop. When I saw the most gorgeous animal, I'm pretty sure is a deer that is somehow genetically abnormal. And I need somebody to tag all of wildlife TikTok and tell me what the heck is going on. Did she on. really need to dye her hair red? Anyhow, there it is. What kind of deer? Multicolored, what kind of deer? It's a piebald deer. They have these in Minnesota. They're all over the country. They're, it's a genetic defect. And their heads are a little smaller, a little kind of llama-like, I guess. Someone explain it to me and tell me how I can protect it from hunters and stuff here in my area. Who do I need to tell? There you go. Piebald deer. Hmm. Alex is distracted. Alex. What? Are you distracted? No, no, we're good. We're good. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, clip nine. The sound is good. Um, uh, this is scary to me, what he's going to tell you. It's very scary because I, I just, I can't even comprehend it. Go ahead and play clip nine. What sound? Daughter came to me today and asked, Dad, I need some money to pay for fuel for my car. I said, sorry, baby, the ATM's broken. And she said, no, Dad, seriously, I need to put fuel in my car. I said, okay. I gave her $40 cash, and here she is right here. I gave her $40 cash, and uh, she said, what am I supposed to do with this? I said, pay for your fuel. And she said, well, how do I do that with cash? Does the pump have a cash, like you insert the cash in the pump? I said, don't ask me that question. Go get yourself some fuel. Figure it out. Unbelievable. Kids nowadays. This girl has five full-ride scholarship offers, and she's trying to figure out how to pay for fuel with cash. What is this? That's scary to me. Yeah. Think about that. It's like ugh, the most basic thing. And if we don't use our cash, they're going to take it away. Trust me. Use cash, people. Um, okay, clip um, 10, last clip. Sound is good. Talk about a leap of faith. This is the exact example what a leap of faith is. You're going to see this. This is a leap of faith. 
a one-ton animal. You even look, he just oh leaps gosh. off that. You know, for all I know, there's another mezzanine down there. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> oh my gosh. How are we doing on time? We gotta we're ready. Uh, we're ready. All right, let's take ready. a quick break and get Max on. Yeah. Exciting. Hello once again and happy holidays to everybody out there on Untold Radio Land. This is Brendan Brown, host of the fastest 30 minutes in the cryptid world, This Week in Bigfoot. Here's what we got coming up for you on this Sunday's show. This week, we look into a Bigfoot sighting in upstate New York and share the details of that recent eyewitness account. Mike Lucci investigates how camouflage really works in tricking the human mind. Snowwalker Prime's headed up to here with those Bigfoot experts in a brand new must-see two minutes with. And Ben Radford, the author Bigfoot Believers Can't Seem to Get Enough Of, stops by to bring us up to speed on Melvin Isidol and his upcoming article, Is Skeptical Inquired. That should be fun. These stories and a whole lot more this Sunday night at 6.15 on the next This Week in Bigfoot, only on CARC Universal. You better be there. Hey, Untold Radio Network fans. Want exclusive perks and to support our channel? Introducing our YouTube membership program with three amazing levels. Get loyalty badges that level up to different cryptids the longer you're a supporter. How cool is that? You'll also get access to custom Bigfoot emojis and priority in chat. Upgrade to Backstage Pass for exclusive wallpapers, photos, status updates, discounted books, and merchandise. Go all in with the producer level for everything mentioned plus member shoutouts. Ready for an enhanced experience? Join now, pick your membership level, and let's make this journey even more exciting together. Hello, we're back. By the way, Ristol's got your number. He said when you were looked distracted to me, he said a Krispy Kreme commercial probably popped up. <laughs> yeah, he's got your number. He's uh, figured it out. All right. Tonight, our guest is an award-winning author, Max Hawthorne. He's an American author and screenwriter known as the Prince of Paleo Fiction. You already said that, right? Yes. He's best known for best known for his Kronos Rising series of sci-fi adventure and suspense thrillers. Um, and in both of that, I guess his book has won Book of the Year, um, People's Choice Awards. Um, he's on, uh, uh, he had an Amazon number one best-selling author, which is crazy, of Monsters and Marine Mysteries, a cryptid research book. Awesome. Became number one. That's 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 awesome. Anyhow, without further ado, let's get Max on. Hey Max. Greetings and felicitations. Yeah, how are you? Chubby, how are you? (laughs) Same. The same, the same. I was uh I was reading something about this uh this new wonder drug, and I'm thinking, looking at all the side effects, going, nope. A new wonder drug? The, uh, the, uh, was it Ozempic? I think it is the one that you just lose weight just like crazy. 
Uh, but you can get, but you have to pay for it out of your own pocket if you don't have diabetes. So you got to get diabetes first. You got to get then diabetes, then it's cheaper. Really? That <laughs> doesn't sound it. very that like a very positive situation. As so, a former fitness professional, I would advise against that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Yes. Me too. Um, did you? I would imagine you caught the news of this. Uh, the pliosaur? Yeah, the pliosaur skull up in England way up on a cliff. Oh, so actually, I've known about it since they found it a year or two ago. Oh, they but found it a year or two. Okay. Yeah, but I was sworn to secrecy, so, you know, I kept my uh, big mouth shut, etc. I know it, those guys. So How did it get up on that cliff, Max? Was the ocean that high? Well, I mean, you have, obviously, the land can shift and move up and down okay. based on continental drift and everything okay. else that goes on there. So I don't know if, you know, the sea levels were that much lower. I mean, higher, I'm sorry, yeah. you know, 150 million years ago or not. It's, it's not really my area. I'd have to check to find out, to be honest. But Super you know. interesting. So, and what do you know about the, this, uh, this how do you pronounce it? Pleasaur? Pliosaur. Pliosaur. Yeah. What do you know about the Pliosaur? Obviously, you, you know a lot about it because you based all your, you based a number of books on this creature, correct? Well, there's a lot of species of Pliosaur that have been found so far. Unfortunately, most of them are from fragmentary remains. Some are from incredibly fragmentary remains. And a lot of them, they are only known of from the holotype, from the one specimen. And... These animals were very large. They tended to be more in the deeper water. So the ones you find closer to shore would usually be smaller animals that didn't have as much territory, let's say. And I mean, look at uh, Pliosaurus cavani, which uh, was a big thing they put out, you know, years back. That's known from a skull, partial skull. I don't think it's as complete as this one, to be honest. But that's all there is. One skull or partial skull from one specimen. You know, so it's really hard to learn anything about the animals. I know this animal is pretty massively built. Its bone structure is very heavy, more like um, maybe Simolestes, another uh, species of Pliosaur. Uh, huge teeth. You know, they have carinae, you know, cutting edges front and back, along with these striations, which I believe are used to puncture bone. They have these like little ridges that go around them and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it was an apex predator. Uh, the current specimen, I believe the skull is two meters long, if memory serves. And uh, they're estimating the original animal at 10 to 12 meters, which is about 33 to 40 feet, something like that. And, uh, you know, you're talking about something the size of a Greyhound bus, let's say. Very massive animal, large flippers four-wheel drive so to speak for the ocean etc very wow. fast swimmer i mean we did a when i wrote my uh paper on plesiosaur locomotion and a plesiosaur is a species of i mean i'm sorry genus whatever you want to call it, a family of plesiosaurs but they have short necks and large heads versus your traditional image of the Loch Ness monster you know the little head the long neck yeah. and all that does but there, you see the four flippers so they're all plesiosaurs and when we did that paper uh Professor Mark McMenamin, a paleontologist, he did a uh, stool numbers by calculating swimming speed for the specimen that we were using and the animation, et cetera. And we came up with, a, or he came up, I should say, I don't want to take him any credit for that, for a swimming speed, like we're talking just cruising speed. I think it was like six or seven miles an hour, something like that. 
wow. which is just like you know you and I walking down the street. But the interesting thing was that that cruising speed was twice the cruising speed of a megalodon shark, more than twice. Well, could could a could a plyosaur kick the ass of a of a meg? Oh, any I would have to say yeah. I mean, you know, people aren't going to be happy with this answer, but the short answer is yes. And wow. you got to look at it realistically. First off, the pliosaur they just found is a lone specimen. It's just a skull, although there's probably more of it there. Okay. But when you find a single specimen, especially when you're dealing with an animal that has indeterminate growth, like a fish or a reptile, these are creatures that grow their entire lives over the course of their ontogeny. So that growth is faster in the beginning, but it still continues over time. You see this in crocodiles, you see this in snakes, anacondas, reticulated pythons, whatever you want to call it. So, and then of course there's sizes between certain individuals as well as possibly sexual dimorphism, which is size differences between males and females. You know, if you look at a bull crocodile, they're twice as big as the female, like Nile crocs, okay? And then you have to consider upper size ranges. So if your average Nile croc, I believe, I have to look it up on Wiki to be sure, but for a male, I believe is 10 to 14 feet or something like that. Although they do, they do get up in the, the 20s. Over, over 20 feet. Yeah. So the point is, is though, but if you look at Nile crocs, 80, 90% of them, the adults are going to top out at, you know, anywhere 10, 12, 14 feet. But you will always have these larger individuals that get gigantic. And the same thing would apply to pliosaurs. A bigger, older animal will get bigger, bigger, bigger. So the odds are that this is probably statistically just an average animal, which means that, I mean, they don't even know yet. I don't think if, if it's an adult, but even even if it is an adult, the odds are that mathematically speaking, they probably got much bigger. So I guess time will find, you know, will tell. But incredible animal, incredible bite force off the charts, um, able to shear through prey. But the point is, is when you're asking about the whole megalodon thing, and this isn't to you know, pick on the shark, the shark is limited by speed, you know, because of a cartilage in a skeleton. I did this whole piece that um, I think we're going to be talking about whether Megalon was a scavenger or not. And there's this whole video on my YouTube channel. It's like a 30 minutes long or something like that that we did. And it discusses all the evidence, which is overwhelming, that the adult Megalon sharks are scavengers. And one of the reasons for that is the bigger a shark gets, the slower it becomes. Yeah. So I was able to use like research on basking sharks, which is a related species. It's a mackerel shark, just like Megalodon was a mackerel shark. And they did speed tests on it, and a 26-foot basking shark topped out at like 11 miles an hour. So we know that a comparable megalodon, arguably, was also limited to 11 miles an hour. Now, they got much bigger than that, which probably means they were even slower. But for the purposes of the all the research that I did, we decided to go with that 11 just to be, you know, authentic or generous, even if you want to call it that. But if you have something like a pliosaur, that thing was probably orca speed probably topping out at 30, 35 miles an hour, you know, in a, in a rush. So by sheer speed alone, the, and agility and everything else like that, you just wouldn't have any contest. It just would, you know, it wouldn't be pretty. It would be like, I don't know, a Messerschmitt taking on like a, a bulky bomber that didn't have a tail gunner and could not maneuver well or something. So. How big did um, um, Megalodon get? What would be the biggest that you think that they, you know, the biggest size they achieved? Well, I, I did some research on that also. And 
like most of the papers out there, they have the shark topping out at around 50 feet. Um, I did some research on my own using very large posterior teeth that I have collected and posterior meaning further back in the jaw. And a lot of people don't know this, but the teeth get smaller the further back they go. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, the anterior teeth in the front, the principal teeth are by far the largest. And then as they go backward, if you pull up like that one set of jaws you just had up there from the Museum of Natural History, that old thing that you showed from like the early 1900s, can you pop that back up? Yeah. So this jaw was at least a third too large because they used the same size teeth all around, which was all, you know, they're limited by the knowledge of their time. So if you look, even though those teeth seem a little smaller, like on the left lower jaw, they're not because the jaw goes further back. So those teeth were all the same size from the same large individual, which made the jaw be that much bigger because they had to put a jaw together to fit all those teeth. So in reality, the jaw was probably, I'd say a, a third smaller a third, two thirds the height, let's say, et cetera, width and all that stuff. But uh, I did like uh, mapping out some of the uh, posterior teeth I have. I found that if all things were equal and it's likely that the jaws, as they continue to grow, maintain shape and function, that it's likely that the shark that has some of the posterior teeth I have had primary teeth, principal teeth that were some of them well over eight inches in length, which is considerably larger than anything that's been found so far. There's a handful of like seven plus inch teeth in the world. And I mean a handful, which shows you how infrequently they got to that size. Just like a 20 plus foot Nile croc. It's a very rare thing. So it is possible that the shark got to be 55 or maybe even pushing close to 60 feet in length. Wow. What's, what's the biggest tooth that you have? How, how many inches long? Uh, the, the biggest tooth I have in my yeah. collection would be six and a half by like five inches. Wow. So very wide. It weighs like 20 ounces. Um, I have a bunch of like six inch teeth. I have two of them that are white, believe it or not. Actually whitish or off white. That's interesting. Like an ivory color. Yeah. So it looks like it came from a fresh, you know, from a fresh kill or a fresh carcass or something like that. In reality, it's almost certainly the minerals that were, you know, were available when it became fossilized. But it's pretty cool when people see them. Do you think there's a, I mean, obviously a lot of people that still think they're, they're still swimming. They're still out there. There's not many of them. Do you think that there's a complete 
utter no chance of it, or do you think there is a chance that a, a Meg would still be around? You know, that actual clip is in the uh, Megalon Scavenger video on my YouTube channel, actually, that one right there. But um, uh, there was one video we did, because I've been looking into, when I wrote Monsters and Marine Mysteries, I in investigated mega sharks. A lot of sightings, a lot of evidence and stuff, and I wanted to put together you know, convincing evidence of what is really out there. And this was usually bite marks, you know, from extant, like whales, whale sharks, things of that nature. Um, a friend of mine, him and his wife, uh, the Tudors, they're from Canada, uh, back, gosh, I think it was this past July, maybe, or was it the year before? I'm getting old and see now, but um, a, a sub-adult, like a 30-foot humpback washed up, and it was covered with shark bites and stuff. And it also had evidence of a ship strike on it, on the shoulder. It had a huge series of gouges from a prop big prop tore up its shoulder and stuff and it had two gigantic bites on it that were a yard plus across which suggests a white shark 32 feet in length which is of course gigantic i mean yeah, that's, that's massive. bigger than bruce yep. from jaws it's almost as big as the shark from jaws 3 you know, it's a huge <laughs> huge animal just to put things in perspective since yeah relate to that and it's likely that this mega shark because it would not be able to swim fast at that size um was able to catch and kill the humpback because it was already mortally wounded from the prop strike you know bleeding out badly crippled i mean you should see the scapula is in the video on the show and it's all chewed up and everything but there's actual photos on the documentary of yard wide bites with tooth marks on them so this is basically pretty much proof that we have huge sharks out there but they're almost certainly not megalodons because number one megalodon would be get bigger than that and number two since it was almost certainly the adults were, were almost certainly most of the time scavengers we would be seeing them on the surface feeding on dead whales you know it'd be hard to miss a 40 50 foot shark tearing away at a whale carcass and stuff See. okay so, well, well just hang on a second man all right so this one had a th you say three foot bite mark Yes. Yes. Uh, if, okay. If, if people go on, I think it's my channel is at Real Max Hawthorne, or uh, I think it's Supernatural Survivor with Max Hawthorne on YouTube. I mean, you can put the link in there if you want in the chat. But there's two videos, the last two documentaries that I produced, and one of them is called Mega Shark or Megalodon, and it has a dead whale in there with three foot plus bites taking out. Wow. And if you look at Bruce from Jaws, his bite width is only I think 25 inches something like that you know versus 36 it's a huge difference and how big would a how would how big would a, an average size megalodon bite be like it, it depends on the size of the fish but i think they said the average they're figuring the average adult was 35 feet long so a little bigger than what we're talking about so maybe wow. i mean i'd have to crunch numbers and you got to keep in mind it's a different species so a white shark formula is not going to come up the same as it would necessarily for that one that's true but, you know, I would estimate something around 38, 40 inches in width. You know, actually, there's a, the the most incredible one. And I think it's in, I'm not sure if it's in the Megalodon Scavenger documentary on there or the other one. But uh, Simon Pierce, the marine biologist, allowed me to use photos of this 40-foot whale shark that he took pictures of off the Galapagos in 2017. And it had a four-foot shark bite taken out of it on its lower left flank like at the wow. and you're so that suggested if we went by the most conservative white shark you know bite size to length ratio formulas and this is from the pros 
the most conservative formula available suggests a shark like 42 feet long. So now you're in the size of an adult megalodon, but it's almost certainly a gigantic great white. Yeah. And I'm not the first to say that. Marine biologists, even on Discovery, have pointed that out there. But uh, they believe that sometimes great whites suffer from gigantism and they just continue to grow and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're able to do this because, number one, their body, so their body style is already able to accommodate a shark that size because we know this because of Megalodon and its relatives like Chubutensis. There was a uh, another giant shark out there that shared the seas with Megalodon. It was its ancestor, we believe. This is a tooth of one, and this is a Chubutensis tooth, a totus Chubutensis. Okay, if you compare that to let's say this, now this is a cast, a replica of this Megalodon tooth, you can see the difference between the two, both in size and also shape. That's specialization, which we can discuss. But the point is, is that a shark 40 feet long is already anatomically possible. It's not like a human being where if we grow to nine feet, like Robert Wadlow, where we need a cane to walk and you know end up being half crippled a lot of the time and suffer from things like acromegaly, etc. The shark's anatomy and being supported by the water would allow a mega shark to survive. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is that that shark would have to adapt to a more of a scavenger lifestyle because if it's only swimming at eight or 10 miles an hour, it's going to have a very tough time catching fleet flippered whales, dolphins, you know, these things are fast. I mean, a documentary I showed a, a speed chart of cruising speeds and, and flank speeds for whale species versus Megalodon. And, you know, there was a huge discrepancy there between all this stuff. You know, it, it left the shark in a bad position where it wasn't able to catch a lot of prey. Hence, again, the more of a reason why, yeah, that shows you right there. I mean, some of these whales and pilot whales can top at it, which would be an ideal prey size for a megalon, because when they were around, most of the whales were smaller, like 20, 25 feet long or so. But pilot whales swim at 47 miles an hour. Wow. 47. That's quick. Yeah. I mean, who's how are you going to catch that if you're topping out at 11 miles an hour? See, well, again, but now this would be the the older, larger, more cumbersome megalodons that would rely more on, on carrion. The younger, smaller ones that were 15, 20, even 25 feet would still be faster, and they'd be out there making kills, etc. It's like a conversion thing. You do what you have to do to survive. So the smaller sharks do most of the killing and scavenge when they can. The larger sharks, you know, kill when they can, like maybe something that's hurt, like that humpback we were just talking about. But most of the time they just come up and they steal carcass from smaller sharks and they take what they want. Do great whites, uh, great white sharks ever grab stuff from the shore? Like if there's a cow there, is it possible they could do that? Because I've, I've heard never... stories of Greenland sharks doing mm -hmm. that with caribou. Really? Huh. Yeah. I don't There's know. Numbers I mean, of witnesses that have seen caribou being grabbed by Greenland sharks. I mean, maybe if it was like off of the edge of an ice flow or something like that. I mean, orcas, as I'm sure you've seen, will swim right into the surf, grab a seal, and then swarm yeah. back out. And you're talking about something that weighs five, six, seven, eight, ten tons, maybe. You know, but they have a skeleton made of bone not cartilage so they're able their musculature is much more powerful they okay. can survive under their own weight etc you know if a shark gets beached it's usually game over i mean there's been many videos of a seven foot white shark that gets beached and it can't get back into the surf people have to 
drag them out and help them, you know? So imagine one that was 15 feet long, 20 feet long, they're in deep trouble. See? So, I mean, I would, I think it would be quite a stretch. I don't think a a white shark would do that. I think it's sense of preservation would tell it, you know, if I do this, I'm going to get beached and die, you know? What's going on? I I was going to, I really wanted to ask you, I know it's kind of off subject and we'll get back on the, on Meg's, but the attacks, I'm sure you read with great interest of the ARCA attacks on ships, yes. you know, off the coast of Greece. What's, what in the world's going on there? And Lee, yes, they keep growing their whole life. I, I think we touched on that a little while ago, but it's, uh, it slows once they hit like sexual maturity. Normally, you bring gigantism into the thing, though, and God knows how fast they're going to grow, you know, which, by the way, I'm sorry, I digress with that question. But the gigantism thing also explains why we're not seeing mega sharks all over the place. Because if you think about it, you need a breeding population of like 500 adults, they say, for any species to survive. Human beings, great white sharks, whatever it might be, you know, genetic diversity, etc. So if there were 500, 30 or 40 foot sharks out there, I think we'd be seeing a lot of them. But there aren't. Do you know why that is? No, it's like the candy cane question, you know, (laughs) it's really simple. It has to do with eating and being eaten. You see, when sharks mate, the male who's a little smaller than the female, maybe 10% smaller or so, he comes up and he puts the bite on her right here, wham, side of the neck by the gills. And he grapples with her and wrestles her down to the seabed, you know, and then they, I know, but does he injure the, uh, Sometimes the wounds are horrific and you see these gaping holes in the gills and you think, oh my God, she's going to die. But their regenerative abilities are incredible. And in a year, the wound's gone. Like you can't even see it anymore, pretty much. It's, it's so this is just foreplay. Yeah. I mean, you know, he just like grapples <laughs> her down to the seabed and, you know, whatever and stuff. And, you know, there you go. I'm keeping it. After, after almost ripping her neck out. Yeah, but you know, so the point is, is like, so let's say if a male is, is 16 feet long and a female is 18 feet, you know, he has his work cut out for him, but he manages to do it. I'm sure she allows it to a point, whatever, you know, this type of stuff. But that's how they mate. He claspers, all this other, we'll skip all the anatomy. But now let's suppose that you've got a 35 or 30 foot female out there and a 16 foot male. I mean, she's going to be eight times his weight. You think he's dragging her down to the seabed to have his way with her? Think about it. He's going to be lunch. And yeah. if it was reversed, yeah. and let's say that it was a, a 20-foot female, a big, big female, and a 30-foot male or 35-foot male, and he starts coming towards her with amorous intentions, she's going to run for the hills because those jaws could take her head clean off. Mm. You see? So you, don't, you would need two sharks with both a gigantism to pass on those genes. And there's so few of these with all the stuff I've documented, you know, so it's very unlikely. I mean, maybe it'll happen eventually, you know, where two of them will get together and, you know, produce mega babies and stuff like that. I don't know. Is it the, is it the males or the females that can get really huge? I think either way is possible. I'm not sure which of the videos that's from. That might be, uh, I don't know. It's all from that same video. The, the one you sent me, Max. Is it the scavenger one? I believe so yeah 
Okay. Yeah. So I think that's showing the size of Chubutensis, which the shark I showed you the tooth of before, and Megalodon at adult sizes to show the difference in terms of mass and stuff like that. But uh, so, I mean, I would imagine with gigantism, either gender could get large. Normally, females are a bit bigger than males. That's, you know, documented. But I mean, anything's possible, you know. Can, can great whites um, like bull sharks reboot and live in uh, fresh water for very long? Bull sharks can survive. Yeah, I know bull ones. Uh, bull yeah, sharks. I don't can, think but... white sharks can do that very well or very long. I think there was one incident where it was probably that New Jersey thing that Jaws was based on, where they did, um, like, they believe the shark that swam up the river was either a bull or a white shark. And I believe a white shark, a small one, was caught and killed that human remains in it. I forget what Manasquan, I think it was or something. Yeah, you know, that, the, that old massacre. Yeah, but uh, the, I don't know if the the remains had <clears throat> washed downstream and the shark had you know consumed them, and a bull shark was still the culprit or what. It's it's been a long time since I looked at that, decades and decades. But um, but to answer your question about the killer whales and everything, I'm yeah. sorry I, I digressed. But what did you? Well, I was just curious what your thoughts are on these orcas. I think that the orcas are, really are incredibly damaging. intelligent emotional animals they're highly family oriented i think they're very passionate creatures um and i think they're they're we're taking all their food hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And I think they're fed up and I think they're lashing out. Really? You know, they know they're the apex predator at the same time, obviously. They're, uh, Thank you, Jeff. Um, they uh, see orcas have normally there's no documented instance, you know, of orcas deliberately attacking human beings in the wild. I'm, I'm aware of in captivity. We've seen horrifying things take place. And this is when you have an intelligent animal that's gone mad from being in prison, effectively, you know, swimming around in a tiny, you know, tub with its own waste and stuff. So yeah. and that same whale. Know, he he murdered multiple people. Okay, so the point is, but in the wild they don't normally do that. Um, but at this point, I think they're they're suffering, and I think they're very very irate. And you know, they look at us, and uh, like there there's a reason why, in my opinion, they don't normally go after people. And I don't think it's a matter of respect or anything like that, or just like we're not on the menu. I think it's because for hundreds of years they watched us wipe out the great whales easily effortlessly things that they do but it takes them a lot of muscle and power and work whereas we have explosive <clears throat> grenades on the end and stuff okay so they've seen what we're capable of and they teach people that and i think that's why they normally steer clear because they don't want to be in the crosshairs but i think they're desperate that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's, we're talking some serious reasoning that's going on um, for them to take revenge. Yeah, I don't think it's revenge. I think the, the they could have sunk a lot of those boats. I think it's more like trying to drive somebody away, uh, you know, sending a message. Gotcha. Okay. Stuff. 
Stay so off, stay animal. out of this area. Yeah, they are whale killers by nature. Okay, they've adapted to eating fish. A lot of them, I think, because of the whales' populations being reduced again by us. Some scientists believe that all orcas initially were whale killers, whale hunters. Okay, but they've changed. You know, salmon, sea lions, different things like that, because of the great whales have been reduced by ninety percent or more, many populations by human beings. Okay, so um. You know, but anyway, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, you starve somebody and they got to feed their family, you know, that's not going to go over very well. Wow. I figured I'd get a good answer out of you, and I sure did. That's kind of, that's crazy. Absolutely. I just wonder if this is going to go on. Do you think that they'll actually try to hunt those orcas down because they're damaging so many boats? Or do you think that it wouldn't be politically correct to do that? I think it would be very politically incorrect, and I think that a lot of people would be very, very angry and upset yeah. about it. At the same time, I believe I read online in the past the military has slaughtered some positive workers and stuff with machine gun fire from planes or helicopters. Or I don't Jeez. know what. It's been a while since I, you know, but I, I distinctly remember reading stuff about that. So people would have to Google that to make sure I'm right. But you know, that's just that's just messed up because they're just trying to to live. You know. Gosh. And I mean, I, I just saw the pods of them when I was in Alaska back in late August and September, early September, and they were magnificent. I mean, you see them out there, not in SeaWorld and stuff like that, you know, jumping through hoops for treats and stuff like that. I'm talking like, you know, pods, the wolves of the sea, six foot fins. I got films of them. I got just cruising along, you know, and they were just incredible to see. Incredible. Okay, well, back to, mm -hmm. <laughs> let's talk more about uh, Megalodon. Um, what do you think their demeanor was? Is there any evidence or any thoughts from their brain and how intelligence, uh, were they, you know, like you had mentioned they maybe were scavengers because they were very slow. Mm -hmm. I would think oh. scavengers wouldn't need the intelligence because great whites seem to have more intelligence than mm -hmm. the Well, I think a lot of animals, as you know, excellent animals tend to be develop more intelligence over time. For example, there was a, a paper done about the megalodon's uh, body temperature being higher, you know, than expected. The surrounding water and all this stuff, but the white shark's body temperature is significantly higher than that. So it shows you that the circulatory system. You know, countercurrent, heat exchangers, et cetera, and the white shark are more advanced than megalodons were. So, I mean, everything goes hand in hand. But uh, I didn't lose you guys, did I? No, we are oh, here. Okay, just making sure. I just saw myself on the screen, and I remember being on an interview where some of the hosts just got up and walked off and didn't say no, anything. No, 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 and no, I was, no, like, yeah. sitting here talking to myself, and I'm like, uh, hello? Hello? We're just giving like, you the Hi, so I'm Max Hawthorne, and I'll be taking over the show. <laughs> yeah, no, we're just giving you the giving you oh. the close up. Well, listen, you, it, let's let's talk about the, the whole scavenger thing because it's not just a matter of something being big and bulky or slow or anything like that. It has to do with fossils. It has to do with anatomy, more morphology, etc. So, I showed you already this cast of a six-inch megalodon tooth. Okay, now let's look at this white shark tooth, which is three inches long. Do you guys see any difference between them at first glance? 
Let me try and move the white. Not, not much. Closer. Not much. I see a uh, this one further back. Uh, let me try to make these things look like they're the same size. They're kind of blown out. I can't really see if they're serrations. Okay. Or well, anything. let's let's not worry about the serrations. Let's look at the overall shape. You see how the white shark tooth is a is a triangle. Right. The other one's got. So this is like a blade. Okay. You look at it sideways. Blade. The serrations here are much larger, coarser. They're called. Okay. This tooth has a different shape to it. The tooth crown is different. Instead of being flat, you can see here. There's a column, like a semi-cylindrical like core to the tooth. Can you see that, like like three-dimensionally from the shadows yep, and stuff? Yeah. Okay. I could even try and bring it forward a little bit. Maybe that'll work good. Okay. So if you look at it that way, you can see how it's got that big kind of semi-cylindrical section there. Okay. Then if you look at the top of the crown, it's not a triangle. It has like this narrower section here. And then it has these parts here, the cusps that flare out. So we see the difference there? Yep. Okay. It looks like it would make a great aircraft design, the mag tooth. Yeah. But you know what it also reminds me of? Is it reminds me of one of these. You know what this is? I have no idea. This is a log splitter. See? Ah. Now, if you'll notice, you see the log splitter has a narrower tip like this does. Then it flares out towards the bottom. It even has serrations. Okay. So the thing is, is that when I was researching all my fossils and collecting all this stuff, I started looking at all these principal teeth and I started seeing this pattern where there was this narrower crown tip and then these wide flaring out cusps that I call flanges. And I mean, you can see it here. Let me get in the, in the light. You see wow. again. Okay. And you can see it here. Oh, wrong way. Okay. Again. See? Yeah. Okay. And you can see it even on this smaller tooth, my bad, which it's not quite as pronounced, but it's already there. Okay. And this is from a smaller shark, maybe a 30 footer. So what we're looking at here is there has to be a reason why this tooth was shaped like this. And the log splitter, I mean, for anybody who's ever jammed one of these into a log, you know, the log is like a cylinder and you hammer it in and boom, 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 boom. And then the log splits apart. Okay. So this tooth functions similarly, but it was a bone splitter. But the difference is it's not going into the center of a rib like we would with a log. It has to hit the rib from the side. Okay. So what I realized was happening here was, and I, I confirmed this by getting fossil evidence, is that when the shark was feeding, and this is only the upper jaw teeth. These are the principal teeth in the upper jaw. The lower jaw teeth are very much like the white sharks. They're narrower and pointy. And if people don't know this, the shark does a, yes, Greg, definitely, thank you, um, a fork and knife strategy. So when a shark bites, the lower jaw with these spiky teeth comes up and it impales the prey item, okay? And then the upper jaw comes up and hyperextends. You've probably seen that with great whites. Remember their lips will peel back like yeah, that. Like and then the looking. jaw goes like up, out, and down. Yeah. That's called hyperextension. It's like a this hideous grimace. It's it's in the video. People could see it there. I slow motion and stuff. Okay. And Megalodon undoubtedly did the same thing. Lemon sharks do it. All the you know, all these, all these other guys. So but what happened is is these these teeth were designed to split ribs. And what they would do is you would have a rib and you would have a rib. Okay, like this. And the tooth would come down between the two ribs, like this. And it would reach a point where here, and then these cusps, which are thin, 
on either side. And the remember the serrations here exactly are like hacksaws, very fine serrations. Hacksaws cut through hard things like metal. Okay. Coarse serrations like you have on the great white seed are like steak knives. They cut through meat. There's a difference. Okay. So when this came down and it's perfect, you got on the screen there as the teeth came down and there's actually an animation. It's a shame you don't have it on there, but it would push down between the ribs and it would happen tooth, rib, tooth, rib, tooth, rib. And as that happened, they would slice into the bone with these narrow cusps. They give me sort of these flange like cusps here and both sides. And it would happen on both sides of the ribs. So not only was it slicing into the bone, it would sandwich it. It was a sandwiching attack between the ribs. So this would slice and slice on both sides and the rib would start to crack, 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 crack. And then pow, it would just come apart. And this is very important for the shark because if you just come up with your giant teeth and you smash into a whale with those huge bony ribs, you're going to lose a lot of teeth. I mean, they're just going to fall out. They're going to snap loose. They're going to break all sorts of stuff because these jaws, these teeth are based in a cartilage jaw, which is nowhere near as strong as a bony jaw. Okay. You ever be in a dentist chair? If you have an extraction happened to me one time and he was pulling his tooth out and he was pulling me out of the seat trying to get the tooth out. Okay. So that's because we have jaws made of bone. A cartilage jaw doesn't have that advantage. Okay. So this is what happens. This goes up between the ribs and it just slowly presses in and it's able to pop open that rib cage like a soda can. Well, did, like did Meg have the kind of teeth that would, you know, conveyor belt teeth that would just, yes, another one would. But those teeth take a day to replace. Oh, only so one day. Lose, yeah. Well, if you lose a whole bunch of teeth trying Jeez. to smash into something, et cetera, you're going to have a hard time. And if you're trying to bite through ribs, because that carcass is partially or mostly stripped already, you know, you want the heart and the lungs that are inside that rib cage. You got to get through those ribs. Jeez. So you need those teeth to do it. So Were there any, uh, Max, are you aware of any other dinosaurs that had that same tooth design? Or was no, this unique to Tyrannosaurus rex had teeth that were designed for crunching through bones. And I believe also they were adapted to grasp and puncture the shields, mm. you know, the frills of ceratopsians. You know, to pin one to the ground so they can, another T-Rex can get to the neck or break your neck or whatever you want to call it. But this is a fairly unique design, and it's unique in sharks. See, Chubutensis did not have that gigantic flare to it. They had it a little bit, but this this shark eventually became this shark. See, which means that more and more of the Chubutensis sharks that have, were better designed for scavenging carcasses survived and got bigger and bigger and bigger. See? And eventually the parent species just died off, you know, became, and then they got larger, you know, courtesy of whale carcasses and stuff. But it was a very successful animal. Well, where did, what, what, what was the range, Max, of, of these, oh, yeah, the you know, the oceans? And what oceans did they occupy? They were pretty much over most of the planet. Oh. So, yeah, there's a whole map um, in the documentary that I put on there. They oh, there we go. Idea. So, I mean, so you're, you know, you're looking at, you got to figure, these oceans were a very dangerous place. I mean, you had 20, 25 foot young megalodons out there making kills. You know, you had the Chubutensis who was still around making kills. They grew up to 40 feet sometimes. Uh, you had prehistoric white sharks, which could be bigger than the white sharks of today out there making kills. You had the giant uh, Cosmopolitatus mako shark that was as big as a big great white, if not bigger, out there making kills. I mean, you had all this stuff. 
you know? And, you know, sometimes people would question, well, wait, where are all these carcasses coming from if all the megalodons were scavengers? And it's not that they were all scavengers. My research shows that it wasn't the younger sharks that were mostly scavengers, they were mostly predators. It was that the adults were more primarily scavengers and secondary predators when an opportunity came along. Like if you're a, a 50 foot megalodon and there's a whale trying to give birth and she's having a problem, she's not going anywhere. You've got yourself lunch and that shark will make that kill, etc. You know, you find a slow swimming sea turtle, you know, something wounded, anything like that, you know, so it's not like they wouldn't make kills. It's just that like when you watch deep blue swimming along towards a whale carcass and dolphins are coming up and blowing bubbles in her face and hitting her in the face with her tails and stuff like that. And you're like, well, it's right there in front of you, this juicy, fresh meat. You know, why aren't you making this kill? It's because she knows she can't catch them. They're too agile, they're too fast, and they can sense what she's going to do with their sonar before she even does it. See? So why waste your time and energy and calories when you got a juicy sperm whale carcass three miles that way and you just keep going? Well, have they ever found any fossilized uh, squid beaks? I've always, you know, I should know that, but I guess I don't know the answer to that. Um, Well, squid beaks don't... um, don't fossilize often. I know Professor McManaman, when he was doing his Triassic Kraken paper, which by the way was incredible, um, they found evidence of a huge glass squid, a beak, and I think a piece of what might be a Triassic Kraken beak. It, it's in his paper. Um, so if people get a chance to look it up, Mark McManaman, um, you can, you know, it, it'll tell you. But squid, you know, squid don't really cephalopods rarely get much in terms of fossilization because there's no bones you know you no get, right you get, but the beak um is still pretty hard you would think there would be one beak from some cephalopod but it's, not bone. it's made out of chitin or whatever it's yeah called, yeah, you know? yeah so that's different that's more like fingernails it's like fingernail material yeah and those don't preserve well either you know but here i'm going to show you something that's really cool though so check this out hopefully we can see this with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, I'm going to hold this close. You see this tooth right here? Is that in focus or is that... Yeah, it's pretty focused. Okay. So this is a neonate an infant megalodon tooth okay it's triangular and if you look looks pretty similar to the white shark tooth doesn't it yeah yeah it's got these fine serrations and all this stuff okay there's no cusps on this yet okay so this animal was pure predator when it was born okay this is from a very young megalodon that is a little bit older 
Okay. Now you see this tooth is a little bigger. Hold on. I'm going to see if I can do this right. Okay. But you'll notice you see here how that crown is belled out there. You see that? You yeah. See yeah. 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 Okay. So this is your cusps starting to form a little bit already. See, it's no longer a straight triangle or almost triangle or whatever you want to call it, hard shape. It's got more of a bulge on both sides. And that's what's going to eventually become the cusps. And it's going to lead to that whole rib splitting operation and stuff that, you know, that the shark did. So we could see that at, over the course of its ontogeny, meaning its lifespan, life cycle, et cetera, the shark exhibits these changes where the teeth on the young sharks start off designed purely for predation. And then they gradually start to bring in the secondary thing where, again, here, you know, this is like I said, probably like a 30 foot animal where those flange like cusps are already starting to appear. It's not as pronounced as it is when you have a gigantic one. You see the difference again? Okay. But they're already on their way. And when it comes to this whole rib theory, we actually have plenty of fossils. And in the documentary, I have like tons of them because I want to make sure that people know that this is all, you know, right on the money. And I put dozens of fossils from my collection of whale ribs that show these megalodon feeding marks and all that. And, you know, the shark would come up. You got to figure this technique with the ribs only works on a carcass. You know, I mean, think about it. If you need to gingerly feel your way between those ribs, it's like you putting on a glove. Okay. You're not doing this at high speed. The whale has to be dead, you know, for you to make that. You know what I mean? I mean, how hard would it be for you to put on a glove if your spouse was waving it back and forth in front of you? you know, oh, hey, oh, oh. You know, all right. That's not working here. Okay. So that's what the shark would do. It would come up. It would like pegs in a hole, feel around, feel around, get those teeth in the spot, and then. And that would allow it to ex excavate a huge mouthful of flesh, bone, and all this other stuff without losing those very important teeth. So point is, so this is just one example. And it's funny in the documentary when I talk about these, the ribs showing the evidence of this, you know, this scavenging technique, you know, and I'm like, we see this again and 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 again 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 each time flashing you know images of this on the screen and i'm like you get the point okay so this is just one really nice example i can get that close enough i don't know if this is gonna yeah that's not bad and this is one that's in the documentary and what you got here is this is a piece of like cetotherium like prehistoric myosine whale rib okay you can see it's shaped like a rib see this flattish part here that would be the inside part of the rib, okay, because that would be protecting the organs and then the circular part being on the outside. Anyway, so we look at this and we see, if you could see it, you see there's three on my left. You see those three scratch marks, we'll call them? Yep. Okay. So the first one is probably just a little feeling out point, okay? Oh my God, I've got to find this spot over here. My bad. And then you have three marks. First is just like an inaccurate one. Then you have a deep groove. And then you have a second groove that's really deep where the bone explodes. You can see there's a huge fracture mark. You see it? It's the higher of those yep. two deep gouges. Okay. That's where the rib split under load from those teeth being sandwiched on both sides. And if I take this tooth and I press this in there, like so, the cusp fits perfectly into the rib 
it's hard to do this obviously right here but if you hold this in your hand you can see it's just perfectly sliding right in there like a piece of a puzzle etc so this was a whale that was eaten by a megalon and it was scavenged and it was able to crunch through those rib cages and the fragments broke off obviously and stuff and that's you know that's how it goes so that was the is the scavenger theory and again i'm not saying oh megalon was just a scavenger that's not true and i've never said that you know and people anybody who says i said that is a liar i'm sorry but that's the way it is um but you have an animal that was designed so as it got bigger that's what it did it relied more and more on carrion for the lion's share or hyena's share if you want pun intended of its nutrients see and it had a limitless supply of carcasses do you know why why max because the candy cane was 60 feet long <laughs> i'm getting i'm getting even for for you alex see i'm gonna put him on the spot because i heard him torture you about candy cane size and all stuff i'm like where are we going with this let's talk you know megalodon but anyway um because first off for every 40 50 foot megalodon out there you probably had 10 or 20 or 50 that were smaller yeah and they were they were doing the killing i bet exactly and not just megalodon chubutensis cosmopolitatus prehistoric great whites all these other sh mega sharks out there were poor all out there whales kills. the poor you know, whales and mama megalodon i'm telling you it was not a good time to be a whale okay no. i mean those were some dangerous seas you know and so all of these were like it was like a conveyor belt of of flesh and you had all these huge sharks getting bigger and bigger and bigger because they had this unlimited buffet out there and their teeth kept adapting to it while the chubby tensus died off well, when, when a whale dies does it sink or does it float not Max. initially whale fall usually happens god it could be weeks or even months after it initially no. dies because it bloats it fills with gases and all this other stuff it's very nasty it can take a month yeah yeah i've heard about exploding whales and yeah the one on the pleasant. shore that time the sperm whale is not not a pretty picture but um you know but that's and that's what happens but you see in order for the shark to find that whale it has to be rotting already you know that smell that travels mm -hmm. out there and before that happens whatever killed that whale already had some of it you know and its friends and its brothers and its relatives and every you know every mega shark in the area is going to come running you know, and it's not like today where you have a 50 foot humpback and you've got, you know, 10, 12 foot tiger sharks and 15, 18 foot white sharks scavenging the carcass. It's an unlimited buffet. Back then, most of your whales were 20 or 25 feet, whereas you had sharks that were that big and much, much bigger. So that carcass is going quick. I mean, think about that. Yeah, is, so. it, is there any internal structure in a in a meg tooth or even a great white tooth if you cut it in half what is is there is it hollow is it just solid i mean i've never cut one in half i have some broken ones but typically well, the enamel tends to be solid um <clears throat> something i i i mean i don't know if anybody's ever thought about this but i'll i'll say this on your show so these <laughs> teeth they have i should bring out a fossilized tooth for this actually so it'll show better you can you give me two seconds? Sure, of course. All right, yeah. so I'm just gonna run over here to the display case. There we go. Max is left. Did you read yeah, the just, sign? Yeah, just do a close up on that. Did you see the sign? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I see that. Nice. <laughs> <clears throat> How nice this is. 
I think he's got fish on the wall there. I see a fin. Yeah, of course. It's awesome. Do you go on the lecture? Do you go on the lecture circuit, Max, and speak? Oh, my wife gives me all the lectures I can handle. Oh, okay. Um, thank you. So you don't. You, you, if I wanted to, if I wanted to hire you at a conference to speak, would you uh, do that? We could talk about it. Sure. Okay. You know, I was like, oh, check it out. See this? This is actually from 260 AD. This is a silver legionnaire's medal from the Roman Legion cavalry. Imperial Legion of Rome, the third. Yeah, exactly. I have a whole bucket of those. Yeah, do you? No, this was awarded to yeah for, to an officer by the Emperor Galenus for the defeat of the Aramani. And ah. since I'm more Italian, I thought you know, hey, I thought this would be a nice thing to wear out here. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, a little conversation piece. Anyway, let's forget that Brooklyn accent for a moment. Okay, so <laughs> here we have a almost a, a whitish megalon tooth fossil. Okay. Is that real? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you kidding? I could shave with this thing. It's, it doesn't even look right. I mean, it just looks so beautiful. Well, yeah, it looks it's been polished. Yes, I didn't polish it. That's how it came. Okay. But anyway, so the point is, is so you have this thing that some call a burlette or a chevron, okay, on the tooth. Now, this is actually the back of the tooth. A lot of people don't know that, okay? This is the, here, so let's do it this way. This non-display side is actually the front of the tooth. So if the shark was coming at you, and this tooth was probably an upper number one or two on the right side, I want to guess. But anyway, this is what you would see hum, 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 as it was like munching and stuff. So like they're that. A, and so they're a bit hooked, basically hollow. On the well, it has curvature to it. If you see oh, curve. There you go. Yeah, That's and I wicked. believe, and I, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever thought of this before, but you know, people are gonna anything I say that people like, they usually try and use. So this is because, and I've matched this up with the gouge marks and stuff on huge whale ribs I have. There tends to be a curve to the slice. And I believe that's because it slices more easily for the animal instead of a straight line run as it cooks. The jaw is going to flex and the tooth is going to bend outward. So it helps it save teeth by sliding along, cutting the ribs like that. See, you get that really thick crown also. But anyway, so point is, is so this here is actually the inside part of the tooth. This would be inside the mouth. Okay, like, like so. Okay, it's thicker like that, more reinforced for absorbing damage and pressure and pressure from the sides and pressure up and down and all this other good stuff. So labial side, lingual side, lingual is the inside. Okay, and Max is show and tell. He should be in the lecture circuit. Thank you. You are very kind. I don't think I'd ever be allowed. My daughter would not be, but you know, we'll see. So anyway, the point is, is we don't see these chevrons on a lot of teeth except huge extinct sharks. A lot of megalodons, some chubutensis, which was a very close relative and stuff. And I believe that this was actually an anchor point for ligaments or extra cartilage or something like that to help the tooth stay in the jaw when it was being pressed down and all this pressure left, right, you know, wedge between the ribs and everything else like that. I believe that is the purpose of the chevron is there was an extra anchorage point that we don't see in extant sharks that helped keep it in a jaw. Because why would you have this rough patch here unless something is connected to it? See what I'm saying? So in the jaw, the parts that were fully exposed would be more like this. See, 
most of it would be covered. I have to ask, Max, what yes. is the uh, fossilized tooth of Meg? I, I would imagine they're available. I mean, you could buy one. Oh, sure. <clears throat> How much are they? Anytime there's a huge storm and the, the, the coastline in certain areas gets ripped up, you see them appear on eBay by the thousands. Yeah, and how much how much are they worth? It depends on size and quality. So if it has great enamel, like that one does, you saw how shiny it was. If it has really pristine serrations, you know, the little hacksaw, you know, stuff yeah. on there. If the tip is intact, okay. Which, by the way, the tip is another indication of the whole scavenger thing because most of the tip damage occurs with the really big teeth, which are also the most valuable ones. So it's a shame when one is down. How much? Because Alex wants to buy me one for Christmas. Okay. Does he really? I okay. think. I think well, he does. I, I said, I I'm think hinting. You go to fossilshack.com. Seriously, fossilshack.com. Okay. And I would call them directly or email them and you speak to Seth, S E T H, Seth Sorensen. Wow. He's a friend of mine and has helped me with many things, including some of my shark tooth research, et cetera. He is a megalodon tooth expert. And you tell him I sent you and he will give you a nice discount. Wow. There you go, Alex. How many people know the guy that sells? Megalodon teeth, only man. This man puts bus-sized mosasaur skeletons in museums. Jeez. Okay, I mean he he has some great stuff. Anybody else out there? If you're if you're one of my readers, you tell him you know me. You say, hey, I saw Max on the show. He he recommended you, and he said you give me a discount. Make sure he gives you at least ten percent off. Hopefully fifteen. Okay, watch. Now I'm going to hear. Yeah, but how much are they? You still never even hit it. It could be a six-inch tooth, depending on quality. It could be five hundred dollars. It could be several thousand dollars. Oh crap! Okay, I take that back. And every time it goes as it goes beyond, like six inches is the magic mark. I can't get one for forty bucks. (laughs) Well, you can, but it's going to be a smaller tooth, or it's going to be bad quality, beat up, cracks, enamel peel, shattered root, missing tip, yada yada yada. Okay, I just want big. I just want a big fossil. <laughs> a, a big three thousand. That's what I am—a big fossil. Well, with you buying it, Alex, he's good, man. How can you go wrong? You know, <laughs> three thousand dollars. Hey, yes, listen, no problem. Dad, I mean, come on. How often are you going to buy your dad a, a six or seven inch? Well, not seven inch. That that's like the price of a house. Okay, but oh yeah, how God. often are you going to buy your dad a megalon tooth? You know, yeah. <laughs> well, only once, according to the price. Oh, you could give me yeah, a replica. You could give me a replica. Give me a good replica that's oh, painted. Where is the best place to find Meg Teeth? Fossilshack.com. Ask for yeah. Seth. I'm just, on Etsy just, right now. Just give me yeah. a Hydrocal replica. I'd be happy. I have a few short teeth that I found. 10 here. to 15% oh. off, depending on how he feels about Max that day. That's right. Yes. And AJ said, where's the best place to actually find one if you want to go hunting for your own oh, gosh, teeth? Sure. People get them in the Cooper River, all sorts of places like that. I mean, the best ones excuse me, are, are probably in the river, but people go in, you know, they go scuba diving for these things. Mm. Obviously, now is not the time. It's freezing. But where? But where specifically? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Cooper River, Sandy Cooper. I mean, all sorts of places. Any oh, okay. Cooper's coastline. I mean, remember, Florida was all underwater. Yeah. You know, back there in the Miocene and stuff like that. So, you know, you like we have property down in Florida. You like <clears> take a shovel and you've got like seashells and shark teeth everywhere you look. Yeah. Well, you, know, you could. Yeah, I'm you sure could there's go some teeth in there too, but I just don't feel like get a backhoe and going to look for them. AJ, you could swim with the manatees and look for shark teeth. Interesting. Alex said he would buy you a tooth if you send me a shirt. Ah. Ah. There. Okay. We'll we'll definitely get you a shirt, John. You deserve one. We'll have to pay you in shirts, John. John's our moderator. Cool. I like him already. Yeah. Anyhow. uh, (laughs) So, excuse me. So, what is a very little known fact about megalodon first part of the question and then what do you think of these movies that that well, alex told me what's your what's your rotten tomato score of the yeah, main, yeah 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 that's Meg a weird duo. question because i'm doubling up i'm getting two okay, and so, one so the, the weird thing about them gosh something really weird i yeah, mean i've what? heard the males used to go to a lot of miocene strip clubs and stuff uh, you know but i don't know this for a fact this is why Max does okay. not do conferences. Exactly. You have no idea how I've been biting my tongue over the course of this conversation, and you know, keeping my uh, oh. what do you call it? my my normally wicked sense of humor in check. All right, but um, a lot of there's the gotta be a fa- there's got to be a fact that nobody ever asked you about. I mean, there like I cover so much stuff in terms of swimming speed and all this other stuff like that, but uh, there's nothing really. I mean, anatomically out there that that you know isn't known or discussed or anything. Do, like do that. you think they tasted good? You know, I'd have to ask one of my pliosaurs from my book. Yeah, there you go. And look, in, in Cronus Rising Crack and One, there is a huge brawl between a. An 84-foot megalodon, which obviously okay. is exaggerated for you know, purposes of the novel, and a similar-sized plyos who are killing each other and stuff. I was going to read you, your, your, you guys, uh, for your, your listeners, a little excerpt from from the book and everything, but you know, I don't think we're going to have enough time. Unfortunately. We will. Yeah, you can do that. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Did you want me to answer your question first, though? Yeah, um, yeah. First, like rotten tomatoes. Yeah. Um, so I, are we talking about what the movie The Meg? Yeah, the the Meg, yeah, the one on Netflix. <laughs> I mean, Meg I too. I believe I watched the first one when it came out on Netflix. I'm not going to go to the theater or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, you know, I, listen, it's expensive, you know. But uh, the uh, I have not yet watched part two, although I'm supposed to. You know, I've oh, been encouraged to watch it and stuff and review it. Yeah, you're the Meg guy. You got to watch the Meg too. Yeah, I'm more of a it. giant prehistoric marine reptile guy. I have a thing for reptilians. Didn't you know that? Oh, like like the alien reptilians. Some of my closest friends are reptiles. Yeah. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, I have no. Rock what are we to supposed to do with that statement, Max? <laughs> So I'm gonna have to lock my anyway. doors tonight. <laughs> um so yeah, so I I really I don't have a rotten tomato score for you. Um because like I said, I can't comment on something that I haven't seen. Um but anyway, but, so what was the other question? Oh, you or do you want me to read? 
I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah Why yeah. don't you read yeah. a little yeah. excerpt? So, so wait though. Did you say the first one? What did you think of it? First class it was cinema. Okay. I, I mean, it was a few plot holes and stuff, and you know, I kind of saw something that I felt was leading up to something in the next one and stuff like that. But it was better than I expected. I mean, how, I've never read the books. I read part of one book, I think, ages ago. But you know, how accurate do you think they were? You think it was? Oh gosh, I think they were <laughs> grossly exaggerated in terms of size and speed and stuff like that. You know, that's like you know, but that's what you have to do. You have to Godzilla size everything. Yeah. When you make these yeah. movies, you know? I, I quit watching when the little girl like was in the in the the whatever the underwater lab yeah. thing and. And the thing is standing there looking at her, and she's yeah. staring back at it. And I went, "That's yeah. enough." I mean, like, yeah, like let's look at pliosaurs. I mean, the pliosaurs in Cronus Rising are huge and very aggressive, and you know, also constantly looking to kill and eat and stuff like that. Now, to be fair, I mean, an animal like that, when it sets up new territory for itself, like it's going to start patrolling and it will aggressively defend it. You ever see a bull Nile croc defend its territory or a bull saltwater crocodile? They're very aggressive, very aggressive. They will attack other crocs. They will attack boats, eat people, etc. So you could expect some of that. But in order to make mine more like, I don't know what you call it, like, ah, whatever and stuff, you know, I, I sped up their metabolism so that the thing was always hungry. You know, and then you have a species that's trapped in a caldera for 66 million years. You have to expect that, you know, high stream metabolism, et cetera. But anyway, see, now I'm all over the place. I lost my train of thought. Well, you're lucky I didn't ask you a question about Bigfoot because I know you had that. You had that really weird experience. Remember? Yeah, that was, you know, I, I, I don't know how many people in this world have watched a Bigfoot swim, but I sat there and watched one for 10 or 15 minutes. That's such a cool. I mean, and I didn't even know it was a Bigfoot. I was so shocked when I asked you that question. Yeah. No, you had this great really, story. For decades, I literally thought it was an enormous orangutan that some rich person had as a pet and was allowed to go swim in a lake and die for crayfish. You know, it just blew my mind. But I mean, it was big and it was hairy and it was muscular. Okay, just tell us this. Tell us the, the quick version of that story. I gotta read. How well, no, do this. Do the Bigfoot story, then, then, then we'll go to the. Then we'll let me read out of Chronos. Come on, you got him excited about Bigfoot. Yeah. Oh God. We have a lot of Bigfoot fans we, here. We, we we did this story before on your show. Doesn't matter. Really. <laughs> It's oh, let me good. get a show of hands from the audience out there in the no, chat. How every, many people okay. want to hear the Bigfoot swimming? Everybody story? wants to hear. No, this no, no. Story. I want to see. I want to see. All right, some we'll, we'll check the audience. I want Bigfoot. That's yeah. a personal decision now. <laughs> the Untold Radio Network. That was that was <laughs> Alex. Deep Blue Sea, Bigfoot, Bigfoot. What's NEWBS mean? New. He wants new BS. New. new BS. New BS, <laughs> not old BS. This isn't. This I is do. Old. Yes, yes. Hand pink waving, Bigfoot, Bigfoot. Everybody's saying what Bigfoot. What's hand pink waving? You had everyone's name at Bigfoot. Oh, okay. All right, fine. Look at them. They're coming Let's in quick. Okay. Tell us a story, Max. Now the whole. By story. the way, it is one of the best Bigfoot stories I have ever heard in my life, and I've heard thousands. He's of them. heard a lot of them. He's heard if them all. If I had known. That you were going to ask me this, I would have given you images of the text from the guy who sort of corroborated my story because I had run into them, you know, recently and I could have found them and sent them to you. But, you know, people just have to take my word for it. First of all, if you haven't 
and I'm sure nobody on here has read my book, Monsters and Marine Mysteries. You should go check it out on Amazon. Yes. Do the look inside thing. I always tell people that if you don't know an author, et cetera, click on it, read the first you know, couple chapters for free. Make sure you like the writing style, all this other stuff. Okay, it's a great book. It covers everything from octopuses big enough to eat whales. I'm talking evidence, mega squid, mega sharks, all this, you know, so much different stuff. I recommend the Kindle version also because all the reference links will be live. So when you're reading it, if you see I put a reference in there and you want to confirm that I'm not an idiot or making up stuff, you can just click on that link. It'll take you live right to it. And then you can go back to the book. Awesome. So it's very, very convenient for any kind of book like that. But the whole story about this Connecticut Bigfoot is in there as well. Okay. So I'm just letting people know. Okay. So this is like 30 years ago. Okay. I don't know the exact day or date or anything like that. It's just a long blank time ago. Okay. Notice I'm keeping all the language clean just for you guys. Forget about <laughs> it. It's a G-rated show. You know, you know what I'm saying. Okay, so my family used to have a big house on the shores of Candlewood Lake. Candlewood Lake is a man-made lake. I think it's about 100 years old or something like that. And uh, it has like 50 miles of coastline and connected to Candlewood. And technically part of it, in my humble opinion, is a smaller lake called Squance Pond. And this is part of like a wildlife reservation, like state land, like a town, you know, like a state park. Okay. One part, one side of Squance, and the lake's maybe, I don't know, two miles long, I guess. It's not small. Okay. Is all woods, heavy woods into the wilderness. Okay. Very treacherous footing, very hilly, slippery, boulders the size of houses. I mean, like, it's rough in there. Okay. Rough and very, very dense. On one, the other side, there's some expensive houses, hence the rich person with the orangutan. Okay. And then there's like some, land over here and then there's like a causeway mad main causeway which is like you know a little road that connects goes over where the two lakes connect okay so it crosses that narrow channel between them and that channel in order to keep the water being able to flow back and forth and animals fish etc be able to move there they have under the causeway submerged is this big i don't know what you call it tunnel or whatever you know like a like a culvert Yes, steel reinforced concrete, like giant pipe. I think it's like yeah. six feet wide, eight feet wide. I don't know how big it is. Okay, it's underwater, and I I never had the urge to dive in, and you know whatever. So anyway, and this this uh, causeway is made of piled up rock. It's like gray stones and stuff, like really like like a hill. And if you saw cross section, it looks like this little road on the top, Squans one side, Candlewood on the other. Okay, okay, so. Um, we didn't have a boat then, and me and two of my knucklehead brothers, we had this great idea that we figured, okay, so you know what? We're betting there's a lot of crayfish, you know, around the causeway on either side, because there's all these small stones and stuff, and crayfish love rocks to hide in to protect them from fish. So we figured there's got to be tons of bass there. We're going to get there when it's still pitch black out. When first light comes, we're going to have our live shiners out there under bobbers waiting, and we're going to be hauling in big bass left and right. That was our plan. Okay. We were inexperienced and kind of dumb and we didn't check the weather. It had rained its butt off. I can say butt on here, right? Hello? No, no, you can't say butt. Can't? No, oh. of course you can't say butt. Okay, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know what people want to hear. You can okay. even say butthead. Oh, okay. So 
By the way, I just want to just 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 a second. I'm going to interrupt Max. Mm -hmm. The story involves water, which is weird because that's Max's whole life is water. So this Bigfoot story even involves water. So it fits with you, Max. So just keep going. You're right. I never thought of it that way. Um, although I did think about trying to catch the thing with my rod, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So what happens is, is it had rained all the night before and then stopped in the middle of the night or something or a little before dawn. And when we got there, the lake was flat calm. I mean, like a sheet of glass. Okay. But it was also the color of dark tea or, or coffee without creamer, obviously. It was dark. Okay. And that was very bad news because if you're putting out bait and you're relying on light and the fish being able to see it and they can't see six inches, you know, you're, you're screwed. Okay. And we were, so we sat there, you know, waiting for the sun to start to come up and stuff and catching nothing. And I don't know how much time passed half an hour, an hour, whatever it was. Okay. So my two siblings, they decided they were going to, I was on the Swan side, just to be clear. And they decided they were going to go up the hill, cross the causeway down the other side and fish the candlewood side of the lake you know so i figured screw them let them go you know i'll have this whole spot to myself and when the fish turn on i'm gonna catch all the fish and they're gonna be jealous and you know sibling rivalry and yada yada so they take their stuff they go over there now keep in mind there's no cell phones back then i don't even know if i had a pager then i'm trying to think i might have but uh if we had a, a polaroid camera i believe with us which i think they had with them and so, the, you, you know, you don't, anyway, so I'm, I'm sitting on an empty five-gallon bucket, okay, and just sitting there waiting and watching my two rods and nothing's happening. And then as the sun's starting to come up, you know, I could see something out there. I don't know how far it was. It could have been 150 feet. It could have been 200 feet initially, and I think it was small at first. But, uh, you know, if I was going to try and gauge the distance, I would probably have to go back there, take a little boat and just, you know, swim or row out to that spot but there was something on the surface of the water and i had nothing else to do so i started watching it and it would bob up and it would be there for you know i don't know five ten twenty seconds i don't know and then it would go back under okay and then a minute or two minutes would pass and then it would come up again and it'd be a little closer and this kept happening over and over again so eventually it started attracting my attention and i started to be able to see it as it was getting more light out and i realized whatever it was was hairy it was like this reddish brown color, almost like a, like a beaver or maybe an Irish setter. That was the color. It was furry wow. and it was kind of doomed. No cone head. Okay. The head was not conical. It was round just to be clear. Okay. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, for my first thought was that's a muskrat, you know, which is a weird muskrat, you know, like, and everything dangerous to be doing that and i'm like nah it's too big and i'm like oh that's a beaver and you ever see like a beaver like their butt is like this round thing and cover fur and it was like that size to me okay. and that's what i thought it was i'm like that's a beaver and i'm watching i'm like no that's not a beaver i'm like what the heck is that you know so now i start getting more curious and all and i'm sitting there watching this thing and all and it would do the same thing it would go underwater disappear for a minute two, whatever come back up you know and now I'm starting to think, okay, this is too big. I was estimating at this point that it was maybe five feet long, which was a really rough estimate because, you know, you're seeing just the front of this thing and the rest of it's behind it and it's far away. So you really can't gauge if you're looking at something straight, uh, like ground level, you're staring at it, yeah. you know, like foreshortening and all that jazz. But uh, so then I start thinking that's a deer. That's what it's got to be. 
you know, but I'm like, no, this is definitely not a deer because deer, they do the, uh, the Loch Ness monster thing, you know, the head, the neck, you've seen deer, <laughs> film, right? You know what I mean? Like, like that's yeah. what they do. Like a lot of those camp videos supposedly are deer, you know, yeah. you've probably yeah. seen a couple. Okay. So anyway, I'm like, no, cause it would have the head and neck that that's not. And I'm like, what the heck is that? You know? So then I think I, I stood up at this point. I was really trying to see this thing. And I thought it's an Irish setter because the color matched and stuff like that, you know? And I'm like, no, cause you know, a dog has a distinctive head shape and this thing had this round, bushy, shaggy head, like head. And I was convinced that the round thing was a head. Okay. And it wasn't small. I would say it was easily the size of a basketball. And like, uh, I started realizing there was a body behind it, you know, and legs. And they were like, you know, tapered going away from you, though. You know, you could see them a little bit under the surface because the sun was pretty much up now. And the interesting thing was the legs, they moved together, as I've said before. So it was kind of like when, you know, my daughter swims like in a mermaid swim on vacation. You know, they move together like this. So when the thing went to submerge, you would see them go like that. It would go under. Wow. So so if and when Bigfoot is ever fully documented and people see them swim, when you see their legs moving together, you're going to know that Max Waldron was not a complete idiot. Just a partial idiot. Okay? Partial. Take credit. By the Um, way, by the way, I want to interrupt you. Um, How (laughs) clear, excuse me. How clear is the water, the water clarity? The only reason I could see part of it was it was right at the surface, like right under the surface. The water was like tea. It was dark. So, you know, if you put your hand in tea-colored water, you know, you're going to see X number of inches, a foot at most, and then you're going to not go see anything. Okay? But this thing was right at the surface, just a wash, we'll call it. Okay? But the head was the part that kept popping up. So, um so anyway, so now I'm like, I have no idea what's going on with this thing. And at this point, I'm guessing it was, I don't know, 60, 75 feet away, maybe something like that. You know, it was getting closer each time. And I had to know what it was at this point because I, I wasn't catching any fish, you know, so I just, I had nothing else to do. And I, I was like befuddled, you know, uh, it was very, very curious. So I came up with a plan because it went, I waited till it went on, went under and I figured, you know, I got a minute or two, you know, so I'm going to back up, up the hill, that rocky hill, that pile of rocks and stuff like that. So I can get way up and I can see down on it because even standing up, I was like, kind of like level still. So it was like, you know, you you can't see the details, but if I can get up high and go up like 20 feet or 15, 20 feet and be peer down on it, even with the dirty water, I'd be able to get a good shot of what this thing was. And, you know, I'd be able to see it clearly. By the way, you like that? That's from my surgery. That's the IV bruise. Huh? Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. It was a couple of days ago. We'll talk about that another time. So anyway, um, I just noticed like my hand, I'm like, why do I have a bruise? And I remembered it's not. Did you have hand. to have a uh, mag tooth removed from your butt from sitting on it, leaving it on a chair and sitting on it? <laughs> you know? Sorry. No, no, it's perfectly fine, but I try not to sit on my fossil. I did that to a needle one time. Somebody put a needle in a chair, and I sat on it, and I went in backwards. So, oh, oh. I had to have that's, it removed that's, surgically. That's no, Anyhow, I, I, had, I had four large kidney stones lodged in my oh, bladder, no. and they had to go in there, and... That's, that's, and all this other stuff. That's the most painful thing a person can have. It was have. very bloody... And very uh, unpleasant. 
Oh, but anyway, you're better. Really right you're better. Back, to, back to our swimming. Pool. All right. So you're you're moving to get a better view up, up higher. Hill. Okay. And this is my plan. And as I'm creeping up the hill, you know, backwards, and when I was trying to watch for it like an idiot, I dislodged some of the, the rocks, the, the large chunks of gravel and stuff. Okay. And uh, yeah, Greg, I passed like 10 or 12 of them, but these suckers, they just didn't. They stayed in the bladder and they set up shop, dude. One was 12 millimeters. <laughs> Woo. I was going to make a necklace out of it, you know, to replace this thing. So, but anyway, so I just lodged the bunt with some rocks and they kind of tumbled down. And this thing, it must have, I mean, rock, you know, like this, I don't think it knew I was there the whole time because I was just quiet, you know, just sitting there on this bucket and stuff. And rock, you know, the water transmits sound four times faster than air, if you don't know that. So this rock hitting rock and it knew right away that it had company. And where I was expecting it to surface, it did not surface. It kind of swerved to the my right, okay, towards the causeway more. I mean, the uh, underside of it or whatever. And it breached the surface. And the only reason I saw it at this point was I saw the movement and I turned to look this way. It was like over there. And I would say it was probably, like I said, 50 or 60 feet still away from me. And I'm sure there was more of it when it first breached the surface. But I only saw the shoulder the upper arm, the forearm, up to about this point. And it broke the surface of the water like this. And you could see all this right here, as if the, except for the wrist and hand, okay? It was very muscular. I mean, it had guns. I mean, like, you know, like it made mine look like, uh, you know, toothpicks and stuff covered with thick fur. Again, like an Irish setter, streaming water. And it just went, and it went underwater like that. And I'm like, I just see a, an elbow and a, you know, like a, big like i i was like stunned okay and then it underwater it rocketed towards the underside of the quasi to that that conduit that goes under it and this thing could swim fast i mean it got from where it was to where i rushed over because i just kind of saw the water like going like this and it got there in seconds and it just hurtled past underwater And it kind of scared me a little because when it went by me, like that channel is, I don't know, maybe 10 feet, 15 feet across at this point. Gosh. You know, but the water went like this, like woof, like that from the force of its passage. And you could see this big, uh, I'm not going to say it, blank shadow just going through. And I kind of remember I I took a half step back. I was like, whoa, because it it looked bigger than I was estimating when this happened. Okay. And it was, it went through like that. And I went, whoa. So I ran up the, the side of the hill, almost got creamed by a car, as I said before. Okay. It was like, I was like ah. so ran across the other side, ran down the hill, stumbling over the rocks. And I'm like, guys, guys, guys. And I'm like, there's this huge, this hairy, this hairy red thing. That's what I kept calling it, the hairy red thing. Okay. And I said, and it just went through the tunnel. I said, it's going to come out right now, right now. Watch, 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 watch. So we're all standing like this, keeping in mind, I was an idiot because in the time it took me just to get to the top of this the hill before I almost got clipped, it was already through. It was that fast. Okay. And we're standing there and nothing's happening. And of course I start getting abused by my two brothers and I start hearing inappropriate expletives that we can't mention here on the show. You, this, you, that, whatever he has, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm telling you it was, and, and then as I said that, there was this crash 
and these lily pads at maybe 100 feet to my left. There were lily pads along the shoreline sticking out, I don't know, like 8, 10 feet of them. I don't know how many there were. But there was like, and the lily pads like bounced off, like there was something under them. And then it was like that, and I'm like, there, right there. And they're like, that's a fish. And then it went like a few feet later, it came up again. I'm like, a fish? Why is it fish? And it kept doing that and doing that, working its way along until it went around the bend, and then it was gone. Now, I've never known a fish that's attacking something to grab something under a lily pad and keep traveling with it and traveling with it and traveling with it. You know what I mean? I mean, why would it do that? You know, like a muskie, if it grabs or a pike, which they're all yeah. the would stay kind of there, like, whatever, and then swim off in the deeper water to wait for its prey to expire. It's like, it seemed very odd, but I think it was hiding using the lily pads for cover and until it got around the bend or whatever, and then it just took off. Okay. So that's what happened. And I, like I said, I had dismissed this for decades as just being some big orangutan. And I don't even think orangutans like, like water very much. You know, I mean, they got crocs in their native lands and stuff, you know, that was out there diving for crayfish. Okay. And so I first talked about this on another show, another interview. And a gentleman, he wrote into the show in the chat box and he said, tell Max, he is spot on. He said, I know the causeway, number one. He said, and yes, there are tons of crayfish there. He goes, we would catch them when I, we would stay in that area and fry them up and all sorts of stuff like that. So that was the first thing. So that was cool that that was confirmed. And then he explained to me that there had been an incident that made him think that this was definitely a Sasquatch. Oh, let me preface this by saying I had found an old newspaper clipping from like 100 years ago or something like that, where it said in that same lake or same area, it said, fishermen report hairy wild child swimming in lake. Wow. And I asked some Bigfoot people and stuff, and they said, yeah, back then the term Sasquatch and Bigfoot hadn't even been coined yet, Bigfoot especially. And so that's what they would say, you know, hairy wild man, hairy ape man, hairy wild child, this type of stuff. And I figured it was a juvenile or a sub-adult that was being, you know, was addicted to crayfish like, you know, like potato chips. You know, you can't eat just one. And I think that's what it was doing. It would go underwater, you know, get a crayfish or two or three, come up chomp them down real quick, take a breath, go back down and keep moving, working its way along, you know, this way it had more prey or whatever, et cetera. You know, you can't just fish in the same spot. You run out of crayfish. So then he said that in the late seventies and early eighties, him and his friends, they used to go up there and they would camp in that area. And he said that the last time they went, they stopped because they came back and their campsite had been destroyed. They came in there and they found like their tents were ripped apart. Everything was scattered, trashed, everything like that. Okay. He said at the time they dismissed it as he, what he called drug crazed hippies. Okay. That's what he thought. So then the next time their friends, have you ever seen a Dobson flight Laura where they look prehistoric? I saw I have. And yes, they do. And they have those. Um, heard of a sub adult messing with two teenagers in a pond. Yeah, I think the young ones are more, how can I say this, irresponsible. (laughs) Like, I think this thing, you're still dark out. He was going to get in his fix for crayfish and whatever, this type of stuff, where mom or dad found out, blah, blah, blah. He didn't expect some idiot to be fishing fishing there and stuff. At one point, you know, when I saw, I even thought of casting at it and trying to snag it, which would have been very bad because, you know, you don't want to piss off even a a six-foot Bigfoot is quite capable of ripping somebody limb from limb. So anyway, back to what I, he was saying. So he said the last time his friends um, asked if he wanted to go, you know, 
And he said, no, he goes, he said, that a bad experience there the last time camp was destroyed. He goes, you guys have fun. Watch out for the hippies. And that was like their joke. So his friends, they went there and they were in a canoe and they were working their way along the state land side of the woods, you know, the far side of Swan's Pond. So it was far from where I was sitting as you could get. Okay. And he said that all of a sudden a big buck came crashing through the woods and it was a tiny clearing there. And when I say tiny, you know, you're talking a clearing that might be, I don't know, 10 feet deep. I've seen a few tiny clearings around here and stuff. Very, very small. Okay. But they, it came crashing through, it dove into the water right in front of them. Like they could have touched it, did not care that they were there. It was terrified. And it swam for its life across the entire lake swimming towards houses. And it was gone. He said hard on its heels. They heard something big crashing through the brush, like something was chasing it. Now I'm going to say this before I've said it before and I'll say it again. First off, no human hunter, because they said they thought it was a hunter at first, is capable of chasing down a healthy whitetail deer, a big buck. You know how fast they can run, 30 miles an hour, okay? And you're talking an animal that's adapted to running through hills and leaves and everything like that. If you're trying to chase one of these things, first off, you ain't going to catch it, okay, in your timberlands and everything else like that. And secondly, you're going to fall and you're going to break your leg or your hip or your neck or God knows what. But even if that was possible, Okay. You know, the buck would just evade you. It wouldn't dive into a lake out of desperation and swim a mile. You know what I mean? At least to me. Anyway, so he says that they heard something coming and it stopped just shy of the clearing. And then it started throwing stuff at them. Little rocks, pine cones, sticks, branches, all this stuff. They kept getting pelted with stuff, pelted with stuff, which I'm sure we all know is aggressive primate behavior. This is something that's, you know, wants you out of its territory or wants you to go away or whatever you want to call it and stuff. And it was tormenting them, throwing stuff until finally said, hey, we're in a canoe here. Cut it the beep out, this type of stuff. He said, then it stopped. Okay. But that's what happened. He said after, you know, hearing and talking to me and everything else like that, he believes that what their friends encountered was a Bigfoot. And he believes what trashed their camp was one also in the woods there. Say. So that's basically the story. But it wasn't until I started doing research for writing Monsters and Marine Mysteries, I don't know how many years ago, four years ago, something like that. So I was thinking about, it, I'm like, oh my God, what else could it be? You know what I mean? Exactly. How did it resolve? I mean, it just swam away from you it and then you just, just got gone. bored yeah. and left? Or? It got, I mean, there's woods on the other side there and I'm sure it just worked its way back <clears> where it wanted to go. Wow. And, you know, this type of stuff. But, uh, but it was not five feet long. I mean, I saw its dark outline as it flew by, and it looked a little bigger than that. Like I said, I, I mean, I'm six one, and you know all that. But I saw this, and I was like, Whoa. I remember stepping back a little. I'm like, what the heck am I looking at here? You know? How many MP how many miles per hour do you think this thing could swim? It was swimming a hell of a lot faster than the fastest human swimmer you've ever seen Gosh. in Benson. So, I mean, uh, I, I let's put it this way: it was probably swimming as fast as you could do a good jog. Okay. If not more. So I couldn't tell you, I mean, but it closed that distance quick and it went through there quick. And I Would was seven like, miles an hour be. Oh, I think it was definitely doing that. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, it was, and, and, but it was big, you know, and just, but I mean the muscularity and stuff, I mean, like, like, you know, these things may not go to the gym, but they're pretty diesel. 
you know that's crazy so, the, i love yeah, the uh the weird experience you know? i love that you noticed it had its feet together as it, you know, doing the mermaid swim at first i thought it was like a tail but i could see like a line you know between them and stuff they were like sandwiched together kind of thing and stuff but you know they were tapered looking because they were coming away from me like that but you'd see them go like this it was like it was something to see you know i mean like uh but of course i took abuse about it nobody believed me you know those freaking characters and whatever i never tell them anymore because they think i'm an idiot you know but hey that's one of the best stories i've ever heard the whole thing it's just it's amazing from beginning to end um go ahead max let's go ahead and uh, uh give everybody a real treat and read uh a bit out of one of your books whatever one you want to sure aj asked how long would it stay in the water uh i would say one to two minutes you know would be realistic um it was having no problem though you wow. know like uh, it just would disappear and you know time would pass and it would pop back up i wasn't timing it let's put it that way but it was staying underwater longer than i could do that's for sure so. well i mean they're they're nicknamed the water apes so there you go yeah Next discussion. Does Bigfoot have webbed toes? I don't know if they're webbed, but I'm betting they're hairy. You know, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like my mother-in-law. Yeah. All right. Anyway. <laughs> that's that's reason number four that you don't invite Max. Did you say my mom had hairy feet? Well, doesn't she? <laughs> anyway. Okay, let's get a little read in here. So what's, what book are you going to read to uh, us This from? is actually just, uh, since we were talking Megalodon, this is the introduction where you first see Ursula, the giant Megalodon shark, in Cronus Rising Kraken, Volume 1. Oh, so just okay, to be clear, great. the first book, which I know Alex didn't find a cover for it, is called Cronus Rising. And that's the one that has the giant pliosaur, which you were talking about pliosaurs, remember? Like the fossil and stuff? Has a gigantic pliosaur on the cover yep. about to eat a diver. Are we able to pull that up at all? The cover art? I had it in the open. I'll grab it. I'll grab it. It was actually in the uh, video. Don't grab open. it inappropriately. I don't want the pliosaur to be offended or any readers or listeners. <laughs> you know? Try to remember, it's a family show. Yeah, you got a stick. There we go. That's not a big picture. <laughs> Come on, man. All right, all right I'm, working on, I'm working on it. He's that working on it. That painting was a private commission. There you go. There you go. Davida Bonadonna from Italy, <laughs> one of the top paleo artists in the world, painted that for me. Yeah, your your book okay. covers are beautiful. Thank you. You like? I like the blood. And the little flashlight on the guy's head, he's looking in the mouth. He doesn't even know what's coming at him. So anyway, but that's the first book. But Cronus Rising Kraken Volume 1 has a megalodon on the cover in combat with a giant pliosaur. Okay. They're kind of like tearing at each other. And so, and so now we're transported. We're in the bookstore. Max is there, and he's going to read to the audience. Go ahead, Max. Oh, my God. I think I need a cough drop. I'm running out of vocal cords. Oh. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> God, it's been a long time since I did this. Now, remember, all right, we're in the middle of a story here, and there's giant prehistoric stuff in the ocean and all this other stuff. Okay, so let's keep that in mind. Put the cover up, Alex. You think he finds it? Nope, that's not it. No, Kraken one. The one with Kraken the Megalon shark. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but I'm just going to start babbling while you're doing that. 30 miles off the coast of the Dominican Republic, in the bowels of the Hispaniola Basin, the gray-hued female prepared to feed. Like a giant bear trap, 
Her ten-foot jaws yawned wide, her scarred lips peeling back to expose batteries of triangular teeth up to 11 inches in length. As you can see, there's some exaggeration here. Sorry. Artistic license. Her maxilla extended up and out, increasing her reach, and she powered her torpedo-shaped body forward with a flick of her two-story tail. There was a tremendous thump, reminiscent of a wrecking ball striking a concrete wall as she rammed her maw into the dead humpback whale's side. Although much of the cetacean's caloric rich blubber and musculature had already been stripped away by smaller scavengers, the humpback bull's nutritious internal organs were still available, encased deep within its protective ribcage, and she would have them. A sickening cracking sound split the water as she brought the full power of her jaws to bear. Powered by massive mandibular muscles that exerted a bite force exceeding 40 tons, her finely serrated teeth functioned like sharp-edged chisels, smashing clean through the whale's heavy ribs. Shaking her thick-jowled 14-foot head from side to side, the ravenous behemoth wrenched a five-ton mouthful of rib chunk, stomach, and liver from the fleshy crater she'd excavated in the whale's flank. Ragged gobs of flesh and bone the size of a human head spewed forth from between her broad-based teeth as she gulped it down. She pushed greedily forward, past a viscous cloud of blood and tissue fragments, and carried on with her gruesome feast. As she continued to savage the 50-foot humpback's remains, the female was rewarded with a second mouthful, this time consisting of the cetacean's huge heart and lungs. Like a curtain of pile drivers coming down, her toothy jaws closed again and again, macerating the fibrous masses of tissue into pulp before they were summarily inhaled. Pausing suddenly, she swung her blunt snout from side to side, surveying the surrounding waters. Age and experience had taught her to err on the side of caution, and her black, basketball-sized eyes rolled in their sockets as she scanned deep for potential threats. Although her sense of smell was her greatest asset, her eyesight was equally keen. Two thousand feet down, the seas were shrouded in perpetual blackness, but her eyes were designed to master the abyss. Her retinas were backed by a layer of mirrored crystals that defocused light reflecting it back and allowing her to, to better perceive objects. For her, complete darkness was as twilight for the giant mammal she fed upon. Is that enough? Or should I keep going? Keep going, just a little bit, go. Okay. The female saw nothing, nothing except the bright red light. Each time it flashed, it registered in the corner of her eye, a tiny setting sun. She had no idea where it came from. It first appeared several weeks before, after a parasite affixed itself to the top of her right foremost gill plate. Despite the initial sting as it penetrated her rough skin, it was hardly injurious, but it was annoying. Unfortunately, she couldn't reach it with her jaws, and after several failed attempts to dislodge it, she pushed it from her mind. The dead marine reptile was another story. Unlike other predators, which wisely gave way when she moved into appropriate a carcass, the 50-foot saurian had come at her like a demon. Fast and maneuverable, it dodged her powerful rushes, slashing at her flanks and belly with its crocodile-like jaws. Her body and fins bore the marks of its many teeth. Unable to inflict significant damage, however, the smaller predator eventually grew frustrated and tried for the kill. Sweeping in past her guard, it struck with phenomenal speed, 
burying its fangs in the thick skin of her throat and hung on. The tactic proved to be its undoing. Although its bite was surprisingly powerful, the Saurian lacked sufficient size to inflict a fatal wound. The two combatants rolled this way and that, slashing and thrashing. Eventually, with a tremendous head shake, the female managed to close her powerful jaws in her undersized rival's neck and shoulder. A single crushing bite was all it took. The decapitated Pliosaur's body spun away like a leaf and sank into the void. All that remained were its wedge-shaped jaws, clinging like a pit bull to her heavily muscled throat. Even in death, she could feel its sharp conical fangs clamp down, the wound itching and burning. Is that good? Perfect stopping point. Love it. Thank you. <clears throat> so obviously they can get all your books on Amazon. What if they want an autograph copy? Can they get one somehow? Um, I don't charge people for autograph copies. Um, it's, you know, I mean, the economy ain't so great. So I'm not looking <laughs> to book anybody and stuff like that. Um, but if anybody wants a copy, obviously you need a physical book. You know, you have a choice of, I don't think, I think Amazon still has kindles they have soft covers they might have hard covers i'm not sure but if you want to sign copy before you order from them you should reach out to me either via email through the website or uh, on social media or something like that and what i usually do for people is i have them order the book and ship it direct to my publisher instead of their house so they don't have to keep paying shipping 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 and stuff and then they could i'll obviously get it from them and you they'll have to email me like a certain um, USPS, like party mail label for shipping it back. Because daddy ain't got time to go to the you know, post office and stuff, you know. But when I get it, if, if they do the right label and they send me like the, it's a PDF from the post office, then I'll just, you know, get the book, obviously. I will sign it and personalize it. I'll wrap it up. I put it in the uh, padded party mail flat rate envelope, slap their label on it, put it in the mailbox for the mailman, and you're good. But and what are you working on? What, what's your next project? I have a lot of stuff going on right now. I'm not really at liberty to say, but I... Is it going to be good? Oh, it's going to be earth-shattering. That's all they need to know. Yes. And soon. Soon as uh, you know, you'll be like uh, one of the first couple people that, uh, that I let know. Awesome. So. Sweet. Well, we yeah. want to thank everybody in uh, chat room and <clears throat> all the future listeners. Can um, I answer that one question? Yeah. Uh, Lay Lee I think, asked about um, movie. Not yet, although there was a movie over for the sleigh, and I turned it down. It was not a. Uh, it was a very uh, unfair agreement. Let's put it that way. Uh, the sleigh is a. Christmas-themed horror thriller uh, that takes place in New York City, Manhattan to be exact. And you know what? I think the easiest way I have found from personal experience for me to describe the sleigh to people is for me just to read the Amazon uh, description. So if that's okay, sure, I'll just do that real quick and get out of your hair. Um <clears throat> For hardened NYPD and for hardened NYPD homicide detectives Ilsa Dunbar and Andy Alvita, Christmas represents a holiday holiday of horrors. Every December for the past decade, a cult of serial killers, the press calls the Christmas cannibal, has chewed the Big Apple to its core. I like that visual. 
Creeping in under cover of darkness, they bypass the finest security systems and slaughter entire families, leaving wreckage and half-eaten corpses in their wake. But as Donbar and Alvita's investigation leads them from one horrifying crime scene to another, they begin to realize there is something dark and deadly lurking in the shadows. It is an ancient evil whose roots are wrapped around the most iconic Christmas figure of all. And for those who meet its fiery gaze, the legend of Santa Claus will never be the same. There you go. And With that's that, what it's about. God bless everybody, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Max, so much. You're, you're a blast. Thank you. You have a great audience, and I really enjoyed answering yeah. the questions. And I I'm, I'm, hope I wasn't rambling too much. No, no, we had had a blast. It was fun. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. You guys have a great night. Good night, everybody. Merry Christmas. I call you up in the middle of the night. Been bothered by dreams, ain't feeling all right. You give me comfort, say just give it some time. By the end of our talk, I'm feeling just fine. You and I will always know. This ain't no ordinary love we got going on I'll pick you up in my 59 Ford We'll head on down the road until we get bored Just you and me and the sun and the wind If the rain should start falling we'll head on home again Everybody else can see where we belong